Hello. This is required viewing. I can kind of, you know, be like, hey, open the door one is a new one. Like, hey, can you open the door? And then he'll kind of push it open. You shut the door just enough that I could get him to do that when I brought him back in. So trying to get him to nose the door open a little bit. It's really nice if your hands are full. Yeah. Yeah. But the door has to be cracked. He can't, obviously. I know. If it's a little close, he's very confused. He's not Give that. him time. Give him the I'm cat not... friend in between the two of them. Okay, <laughs> well, it's a great segue for you. Fun, fun story. I'm trying to cultivate this whole, like, Milo and Otis thing. Do you remember the children's movie Milo and Otis about the little pug and the little kitten that go on an adventure? Which I found I'm out as old, an adult. Maybe too. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. Well, it was. It came out in the '80s, but it took almost ten years. Well, over the course, it took. I think not ten years. That's too much. I think see. it took like three to five years to make. I thought it was like mostly like scripted and stuff. No, this like whole Japanese production team. It was made in Japan. Also, something really? I didn't realize till I was older. Whole J- Japanese production team like followed this little pug and this cat I around. I didn't know for, until you like, yeah you look like it up three and... years. Over three years. They 1986. Yeah. And photographed them and then and, and together in a movie with the well, story. Yeah, they just videoed them doing crazy <laughs> like animal poster. stuff. Yeah. Paws, raptor. And then, um, oh gosh, what's his name? The guy that was Arthur. Oh shit, the British guy. Which Arthur? Uh, Arthur uh, from the 80s. Yes, Arthur. Yes, oh, okay. yes, yes. You know who I'm talking about. You know who I'm talking about. I Here's that like picture PBS of the kitty and Arthur. the puppy. <laughs> And he, and he, oh gosh, and 10, he was in 10, um, oh shit, it'll Um, probably be, I'm trying to remember it before you can look it up, before the internet, I don't know if I'm gonna, Dudley Moore, Dudley Moore, I was like, it's like the most British name ever, he is the narrator for it, so as a kid, there's nothing, unless you read the credits, there's nothing to tell you that this is a movie made in Japan, but the credits are obviously all Japanese names. <laughs> well, the first, like the first one is Kyoko Kozumi, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. and then Dudley Moore, <laughs> and then a bunch of a few, yeah, like, very, so like three I, others. I have two. So my, I, t- I was telling you, my older cat passed away, uh-huh. and last summer I adopted like a three-year-old cat, like, and she and the old cat never got along. But then I had an opportunity after old cat passed away to get a kitten. But not like a super tiny kitten. Uh-huh. She's about. I mean, she was pretty tiny. I mean, she's still pretty tiny. Uh, when I adopt, I adopted her on four twenty, and <laughs> she was like six, eight months old. She's about to be like a year old, and I bring the cats over to hang out with Oliver, and mm-hmm. he's very concerned about their well being. He follows them around. He's very like mindful with them. You guys, and once he's to, like, so big in comparison. I that know. It's just like, and then he'll stick his face in their little carriers. His big old massive fucking head. He'll just <laughs> he shove does it in their carrier. Head. Like <laughs> he does have quite a large head. He doesn't. It's so funny to see the cats like peer out of their little carrier and his big head just looming over them. <laughs> it's pretty epic. Hey, it's where like, are you? What are you really doing? Funny. Who are you? trying to find it and see oh what the picture of theodora because the size difference is hilarious oh my gosh you know what i forgot to mention in last week's episode 
Also, we might as well just get into it. We're Welcome back it. to the Require Viewing Podcast. <laughs> Hi, I'm Erin. I'm Chloe. Uh, last week's episode, I forgot to mention that I named my cats after Eleanor and Theodore. That so was we watched The Haunting thing. last week. Oh, wow. 1963, you know what I'm talking about? Yep, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I named my cats Eleanor and Theodora. <laughs> <laughs> and they're aptly named. They really are. Eleanor definitely has that personality, and Theodora definitely has that personality. She's brave. She's like out there she's ready to go do whatever i also think that's her being a kitten too she hasn't been around long enough to be scared of things yeah. oh yeah that's the picture of the two of them Aww. he just followed her around he was like do you know where she is she's somewhere around here he was very concerned with her one safety. day milo and notice they're just going to be kicking it together going on adventures i'm currently cute. harness training the cats so they will be outdoor cats soon. Indoor, wow. outdoor. It'd be interesting to see what Oliver has to say about that in terms of, he's like, I have a harness too. I know. <laughs> we're all going to get our harnesses and have go on walks. Have you been to the cat circus at the Bug? No. Every no. year they have an act that comes through and has the stage for a week that's a cat circus. Oh my God. That's hilarious. I have missed that <laughs> every <laughs> year, I think. I've not uh, heard of that. I feel like that would be on your radar. I'll see yeah. what it is. If you look at the Bugs. I will. Website. I want to go to the cat circus. Will they let me I bring my go. cats? I was going to gonna go, cir- and then the pandemic happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of things stopped. That, yeah, a lot of things but, ended. But I, I, I think they're back. I think the cats are, are back. Are you fucking kidding me right now? Hmm. Oh, that. Can you hear that? Oh, I can hear that. I'm not deaf. <laughs> well, I'm going to apologize to no listeners. Shade. There's construction going on, and we can't help that. That's life. Welcome to Denver. That's, that's where we're at. Um, our third voice today is my... Because <laughs> yes, we did not an introduce you at all. I was like, <laughs> that's not, that's not a new thing. This mystery guest is I know this mystery can voice you guess the name or occupation? <laughs> This is my friend Mary Jennifer Mitchell. Welcome, MJ. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. MJ, who are you? you? Why do you want? (laughs) Well, um, my name should speak for it all. I have the first name of a saint, a very (laughs) special saint. I have a middle name that is a common witch's name. But it's actually Gaelic and means white water or... uh, Babbling Brook. I don't know. Something like that. Nice. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and my last name ends in hell. <laughs> my mom taught me that as oh a my kid. God. Oh, That's did you so take funny. <laughs> because because I would go, Mom, people are always misspelling my name. They spell it with an L E or just one L and she said, just tell them it ends in hell, honey. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, MJ is a Denver-based actress, but she has had quite... Boulder-based. Uh, Boulder-based. Boulder sorry. Boulder-based. Colorado-based <laughs> actress. But she's lived, much like me, she's lived many lives. <laughs> um, and we're going to get into some of those lives a little bit later on. Um, this week's movies... Uh, we got into comedies because MJ and I are comedic actresses for the most part. We really did comedies. We all love comedy here. One of my favorites and a comedic influence for me, Abbott and Costello Hold That Ghost from... 1941, right? No. 1942. 
Maybe. Let's see. 1941. I thought I, I wrote it down. Right the first time. I wrote it down, but and I don't I... have that piece of paper. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's right here. I was here. thinking that as I was leaving home today. What year was that movie? Yes, was 1941. See, Ooh. we're going to get into the uh, problem that was Abbott and Costello in the 40s. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, next up, we are actually switching. I know that we normally go chrono- chronologically, but... I decided to switch things up this week. We're going to do Office Space Next from 1999. Yes. Wrapping it in the Y2K. Oh, yeah. Remember when we were all scared of something that didn't happen? Yeah, man. That affected my household on a very real level. I knew knew a bunch of people who had, like, stores of water and canned goods in their garage. They were ready for the world to collapse. My stepdad at the time worked in computers, and so, like... He was gone that entire, like, New Year's Eve because they were preparing. Everybody was preparing all of the computers and everything to just, for nothing that happened. Sidebar. First sidebar of the day. (laughs) Did no one have the forethought to think that the calendar was going to keep going past 1999? It was that they only had the last two digits and all the computer programs. Yes, uh, and they talk about yes. that in Office Space, that it's all the last, but still, that's... If it went back to zero, zero, big deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we'd know it was 20. It was... Yeah. <laughs> Idiots. Oh my anyway. gosh, it's 1900 again! <laughs> <laughs> With computers! <laughs> We're going back in time! Get ready for another recession. Oh my god, that's so funny. We're gonna wrap up today with This Is Spiral Tap from 1980... Four. Yes. Not the George Orwell novel. No. No. The Rob Reiner movie. Yes. Rob Reiner's first director movie. Directorial movie. Directorial debut. Yeah. I'm pretty excited to talk about that. I was thinking what an influence Rob Reiner and Norman Lear had on generations. Absolutely. Rob Reiner's Um, like America's dad. (laughs) <laughs> don't you get that oh my gosh i'm bit? gonna be real real sad whenever he passes away don't put it that, out there i'm not no. trying to put it out there he lost a lot of weight he's looking real good he's looking real healthy we're gonna keep rob, rob reiner for many years to come hopefully he'll keep doing a couple more movies he doesn't do movies that often anymore i feel like he's kind of chilling in his golden years well, he's, i don't think he's much older than me is he oh i don't know when your birthday is I'll be 75 in January. Really? Uh-huh. Congratulations. Happy early late birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Happy early Great late birthday. Just cover, <laughs> cover all my the bases. My son-in-law will be 50, and one of my granddaughters will be 20. So we decided we have to do something to do oh, a special cool. celebration. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> and our birthdays are like three days in a row. <laughs> oh, really? Uh-huh. He's 75. Okay, so, you guys yeah. are the same age. <clears throat> so don't be <laughs> checking yeah, no. them out. <laughs> no. My mom, my parents are in, I think, oh, wait, are, are they 69 or 70 this year? Something like that. Huh? 
So they're like late 60s, early 70s. I don't remember. I don't even know. I literally told someone I was 32 the other day. I just turned 33. I think <laughs> after your 30s, you just like forget age. Oh, it doesn't uh, matter. That happens. I say like the weirdest ages. I go, no, no, that's not true. <laughs> that happened to me. myself much older or younger. Than, no, I was thinking about that age, but no, I'm really. <laughs> it's always like, it's a mental thing because I remember being at an airport with my mom and they were like, how old are you? And I was like 15. And my mom looked at me and was like, no. Because I had a birthday like a day before that or something, and so it hadn't clicked for me yet. But I just was, she was like, no, that's not how old you are. I was like, I know how old I am, just give it it. But then you get older, and then your parents are always asking you how old you are. My dad would always be like, how old are you again? Like, he'd ask both my, between my brother and I, you, what, how my old are you? My father always, my dad genuinely, I don't think he knows what year I was born. It's <laughs> always, it always changes. And my age changes. It's just kind of somewhere in a window, and I gotta hope that I it gets just, it right. It was that phase in my life. Right? <laughs> I was just telling him, like, you were, more, you were more coherent than I was at that time, so I would hope that you would remember better than I would. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, let's get into it. Abbott Costello, hold that ghost. Okay. Gas station attendants, Chuck and Ferdy. What the fuck kind of name is Ferdy? Anyway, <laughs> it was the 40s. I didn't choose it. Aspire. They aspire to have better jobs. They get work as temporary waiters at Chez Glamour, a high-class nightclub where Ted Lewis and the Andrews sisters perform, but quickly are fired for causing a scene. Ferdy dreams of having his own nightclub one day. Back at the service station, which I noticed this time around, I've never, I've seen this movie a bunch of times and I never noticed that it is there. They talk like they just work at this gas station. That's what I thought at first. It's their gas station. Their names are all over the building. (laughs) They fucking own the place. I don't know what their problem is. Anyway... Back at the service station, gangster Moose Madsen brings his car in for gas and cleaning, not oil, which he's asked repeatedly if he wants oil. <laughs> this poor man does not want oil. When he is spotted by the police, he speeds off with Chuck and Ferdy trapped inside the vehicle. During the chase, Madsen trades shots with the police and is killed. According to the gangster's unconventional will, which states that whoever is with him at the time gets to inherit all of his shit. <laughs> Wait, that's kind of an interesting <laughs> will. You leave a special life if, if, if you're near my, just near my body when I die, you get my stuff. <laughs> they inherit part of his estate, which includes a rundown tavern called the Foresters Club. It's not really near a forest. Anyway, Matson had always given a cryptic clue about the hidden stash of his money, stating that it was kept in his head, but the existence of its remains are questionable. Matson's attorney introduces the boys to an associate, Charlie Smith. Chuck and Ferdy are unaware that Smith is a member of Moose's gang and seeks all of the money. Smith has arranged for a wildcat bus to drop them off at the Foresters Club, but the unscrupulous bus driver abandons them with three unrelated passengers, a doctor, a radio actress, and a waitress. They all have to stay at the tavern during this very heavy storm. Honestly, the storm is about the spookiest thing in this movie, if I'm being (laughs) real fucking frank. (laughs) There really isn't a ghost. It's just a dude in a sheet the whole time. But it's always a perceived ghost. It's a very Scooby-Doo situation. And the hands. There's a lot of hands. Wasn't it a cab driver that left them off there? But, okay, so in the... It's a quote-unquote bus. 
Oh, but the the bus looks it's a cab. It looks like a cab, it's but a cab they ca- bus. they call it a bus oh, the whole because time. They, okay. It's a bus. I don't know. We don't have buses <laughs> like that anymore. It is. And then they say that it's like a grift that's pretty popular. That's probably why those kind of buses don't like exist, hang around right? anymore cuz all these people just used to steal all your shit and drive off. <laughs> yeah. As the night progresses, strange things start to happen. Smith disappears while searching in the basement, and his corpse turns up unexpectedly several times. It just kind of keeps popping up in different places throughout the house. He also does not look dead. Did you notice that? He's a very alive corpse through most of this. His eyes are wide open. Well, Aaron, it takes some time, you know, for depending on the temperature in the the house and the conditions of the body is kept in. I mean... He looked pretty ragey in that when he was hung up in that closet, like, please, someone get me down. Maybe he didn't he really look dead. Maybe he was still alive then, and then he died over the course of the time. <laughs> you know. Think of it. It's like CSI Abacosta. Absolutely. <laughs> the worst forensic team. He's Karari drugs, and he can't move. <laughs> <laughs> he's, re- he's dead, but he's alive for the whole thing. Yeah, 100%. The water in the tavern tastes foul. As they discover, because no one decided to taste the water before they started cooking, they just made a bunch of food and were like, mmm, this doesn't taste right. <laughs> they made a whole soup with they it. They probably, they just assumed that the ancient abandoned cabin had good water <laughs> and made all their food. And then they, the only thing they had left was beans. They were like, ah, oh, we got beans left. That's what we're eating for There's dinner. always beans. One can to share between like seven people. <laughs> hey, beans can be very filling. A lot of fiber there. The uh, Ferdy discovers that the his current bedroom is rigged to transform into a cons- casino with a hidden hidden gambling equipment underneath like the bed and stuff. That Which, was cool. I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. That's like an added feature to your bedroom. Well, it was very like. I mean, this is. 90s cartoons but like hey arnold bedroom Definitely. where things flipped out like you mm-hmm. had couches and you know sunken living rooms and all that kind absolutely of. as all of his nonsense is going on upstairs the girls are scared by what appears to be a ghost <laughs> oh no it's a lot of hands and weird sheets two detectives show up out of nowhere but vanish basically after they show up during their quote-unquote investigation they did not a seem like detectives no and b they weren't very good at their job if they were detectives because they literally died immediately they're on screen for would you question their? i mean i wouldn't if if i were them i wouldn't question their detective abilities considering that they also thought that the water was going to be perfectly fine so i think they're making (laughs) good choices there (laughs) (laughs) oh man while ferdy examines a map to find the quickest route back to town candles on the tables start to mysteriously move he's freaking the fuck out i would just go to a different room but that's just me (laughs) or assume that somebody was under the table that too and then he was yelling at the chick next to him the radio actress and being like where are you looking she's obviously not looking at you but one of the candles actually uh, levitated, so then it couldn't be someone under that's the table. That's true. That's true. I just kept seeing the table runner go, and I was like, that's what every kid mm-hmm. would do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the old movies where you can, now that we have all these HD TVs, we can see, like, details, like the strings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I love to be able to see all the strings in this movie. House on Haunted Hill, which is a movie we're going to watch for Halloween, one of my favorite horror movies, there are strings 
all over that movie. There's an old lady <laughs> on a skateboard. That movie what? gets great. We're going to get into it in October. I'm very excited. Anyway, oh my back to this movie. Freddie inadvertently, sorry, Ferdy. I feel like his name should be Freddie. That, it makes a lot more sense than Ferdy. Who, who names their child Ferdy? Someone who doesn't like their child very much. <laughs> Maybe his real name's Ferdinand. Maybe. <laughs> Who names their child? Oh, that's an ancient name. Who names their child Fernand anymore? Unless you're Russian. No, it's a Spanish name. Spanish. Wasn't there Fernando? Yeah, I think Fernando. of Fer- like I think of Ferdinand the Bull. Do you remember that? Love one? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that one. That's what I think of. Ferdy inadvertently discovers Moose's treasure hidden inside a stuffed moose head above the fireplace, and now it all makes sense. Hidden moose inside moose his head, Moose's. Head. Got it. A disgruntled member of Moose's gang suddenly appears and demands all the money at gunpoint. The boys manage to knock him out. I want to say Costello really throws some good punches. I forgot how, like, for as much of a, like, a fat oaf as he is in this movie, he texts, like, every one of those bad guys at the end. He's just like, I'm going to get out hell or high water. My fist is going to go through your face. Chuck and the doctor then fight off two of the gang members while the others chase Ferdy, who has the loot, through the tavern. Ferdy then scares them off by imitating the sound of a police car. Because if you don't know anything about Abbott and Costello, uh, part of Costello's shtick is that he can do a lot of sounds. So he imitates pretty spot on a police siren. And the doctor announces that the tavern's unsavory water... Out of nowhere. This dude is always just throwing in scientific facts at really inappropriate moments. And doesn't understand flirting at all. Period. He announces that the tavern's unsavory water has valuable therapeutic properties. So it could be turned into a hot spring, basically. Mm-hmm. And Ferdy and Chuck transform the place into a posh health resort. The boys then hire Ted Lewis and the Andrews sisters to headline, and the maitre d' who fired them at the beginning of the movie now works for them as one of their temp waiters. Uh. And then the movie ends with Abbott yelling at Costello for stealing all the money from the register. (laughs) That's the last thing. Your copy didn't get to the end, but he literally has all the money underneath his vest. And he's telling Chuck to not, like, count the door because he wants to get home with all the money. He owns the business. He's only doing himself damage. He needs to go to business school. Someone needs to teach him. Or just, like, stick him in the back or the front. Don't allow him near the money. Or near other people. He doesn't seem to be able to... No conversations very much. well. He's just a sweet dude. If you're a friend, you're a friend. If you're not, you're confused. <laughs> Why should we give a shit about this movie? Lots of reasons. Mostly Abbott and Costello. A lot of my comedic timing and like I watched this movie a lot and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. They had that whole slew of movies that they par- partnered with the like Universal Monsters and I watched a lot of those. When I was a kid, because they were really good, too. I never... So that was the whole thing. I had never seen Abbott and Costello. I mean, I'd heard of them, but I was raised on the Three Stooges. We had Three Stooges at my house, but not as much as Abbott and Costello. Yeah. But I I was looking into that as to why that is, because the Stooges have gotten more exposure. And I have an answer to that question, if you want me to answer it. 
Sure. <laughs> you look like you're like, I was uh, like, uh, okay. I don't know. So it was a wire that there was a whole, there's a whole conversation on the internet and it's recently come up again. I was like, why are the Sto- three stooges more popular now than other comedy teams of that same period, such as the Marx brothers. Cause we yeah, talked about them, talked such about as Laurel and Hardy, such as Abbott and Costello, such as Martin and Lewis. Did you know anything about Martin and Lewis? Mm-hmm. I did not. Uh, and Martin, Jerry Lewis, dude. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that is Martin right. and Lewis. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think of that because I just don't think of them as being in the like thirties. No, and 40s they did and all a that. bunch of movies together, like more comedy team. Yes, so. more in the fifties. Yeah, see, but later in that, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, oh yeah. Well, yeah. So one of the main reasons being that it's largely a matter of how the entertainment business has evolved. So all of the others had done feature films and things that you could see in theaters, whereas the Three Stooges kind of made more shorts that you Mm -hmm. could, that are easily streamable now, Mm. but also they made more content over the span, I think, of of 30 years than the other big duos. They had a TV show. They did. When I was a kid, they were on Weekly, and Mm -hmm. so... You could, I mean, you saw new stuff every, yeah. every week. You can go them. into syndication too. So yeah, because that's when I saw all that stuff popularity. was when all of those Stooges shows went into syndication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much why. So that's what did you, thing. what what was in your household more? Um, well, the Three Stooges, because they were on TV at that time. Yeah. But I watched a lot of things like Abbott and Stella because I was like an insomniac. And my family <laughs> got it, my father. Father and mother both from farm families, and they got up early. My dad would be up by 4.30, and if we weren't out of our rooms by 6, mm-hmm. that was like really, he was came in yelling and clapping his hands. Oh, and my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just sunshine. Oh, I couldn't <laughs> up do and that. Adam. I was not a morning person. <laughs> no, me neither. And I would wait till everybody was in bed, and then I would get up, and I would turn on the TV, and it was all black and white on TV, mm-hmm. even if it was a color film. But I couldn't turn the sound on, so I watched I watched a lot of, um, there were some silent movies on late at night mm-hmm. at that time. But I watched things like Abbott and Stella and The Three Stooges because you don't have to have the words. There's so much action. Oh, yeah, because they're expression. all from vaudeville and burlesque. The Abbott and Costello's routine spawned out of a burlesque routine that then moved on into radio and then eventually film. And then they did have a tiny TV show, but it didn't go very well. Yeah. <laughs> My well, dad's see, favorite thing. Then they could, tra- like, Abbott and Costello did a TV show, but it didn't translate. Mm. But the three students. Well, did a TV by the time the that. reason why it didn't translate is because by the time they got to their TV show, uh, people were fucking tired of them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be for real here. They made. I got. I wrote it all down here. They made thirty-eight movies between nineteen forty and nineteen sixty-five. Their average was two and a half movies per year. Sometimes oh, wow. they put out more than two movies per year. Sometimes they only put one per per year Mm -hmm. but they were pumping out at least a single movie together a year plus doing tv appearances and still doing radio and then you know all art is imitated that you start getting people making fun of them Mm -hmm. and cartoons because looney tunes reference them a lot oh yeah the public was just fucking over it i think that's why i knew about it was because of looney tunes i was a huge looney tunes fan yeah people are just over abbott and costello and then they broke up and they tried to get back back together and it didn't really work and then they broke up again and then costello died of a heart attack 
three right. days before his 53rd birthday. Why? I mean... I mean, I'm getting I mean, real. I was kind of look over. at that. Look, look at it. I mean, uh-huh. I was over Crystal by the end of the by the end of that movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did, the gentleman did not look like he took care of himself very well. No. So a heart attack at 53 makes a little sense to me. Well, I bet you he definitely influenced people like Belushi and Farley, 100%, of course. All and those so they're guys. like, well, that's how you have to live that life. Like you're constantly about to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, do you think they set bit. out to do this? <laughs> They're like, that's the way to be funny. I get to look like I'm on the verge of death every day. Um, I will say that uh, Abbott wasn't the same after Costello died. No, he kind of really so slowed down after that. Because um, they were doing some individual stuff. They were kind of trying to have their own solo career. It wasn't really going very well, but they were still trying. And then once he died... It just, he kind of lost his zest. Yeah. And he kind of yeah. went into retirement. He did a couple of appearances after that, but he just kind of didn't do much after that. He literally Dan said. Dan Aykroyd when John Belushi died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I got that sense. Sometimes, it, I mean, it's your comedic life partner. Your muses. You know what I mean? When you do that, I'm 38 movies. That's a lot. I mean, you and I know how long it takes to make a movie. When you're pumping out two movies a year like that. That's a lot of time to spend with one other person. That's your family. That's your blood at that point. You're mm-hmm. seeing them more than you're seeing anybody else in your life. Well, that's what the the Beastie Boys were saying, was uh-huh. that the three of them were together for everything mm-hmm. through childhood. Well, like when they met at like a punk show. Do you know who the Beastie onwards. Boys are? Okay. Yes, I do. I was Not say everybody she does, man. I wasn't trying to be like ageist or anything, but if I um, asked my parents, they probably wouldn't know. As a personal fan, the Beastie Boys transcend space and time. They do. <laughs> because they reinvented them, much like Bowie. They reinvented themselves, not like to the extent of Bowie, but they reinvented themselves to stay current always, which I think is great. But they saw each other constantly. So when Yauk passed away in 2012... That's it. That was the end of the band. They were kind of like, they still do appearances and they have a book and they did a documentary and everything. But once he was done, that was kind of, he was like the light, the heart of that, I guess. I mean, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. Yeah. Like, Mel, I'm glad that Mel Brooks still has his, a close knit family because all I, I just, they were like the cutest old retired couple there I for know. a while. <laughs> They're like Martin Short and. Steve Martin. Steve Martin, yeah. Well, Mel is, I heard, interviewed recently. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's done a documentary recently. Honestly. And he still performs in Las Vegas. I know. Really? That oh, man. that's great. <laughs> he's performing from a bubble. Have you seen those COVID commercials of him and, like, Max outside the door? No. Being like, protect your loved ones. Please don't go near them. <laughs> Back during the during the shutdown, Mel Brooks and his son had this whole campaign, and it was like literally like That's Mel funny. on the inside and Max and his kids on the outside, being like, "Hi, Grandpa, we'll <laughs> see you later." <laughs> Our story follows Peter Gibbons, who is frustrated and unmotivated computer programmer who works at Inatech. He and his friends and co-workers, Samir and Michael Bolton. I did say Michael Bolton. He knows his name is Michael Bolton. He does not like Michael Bolton. (laughs) If you ask him about it, he gets real spicy. Another co-worker in the office is named Milton. Milton Widoms. That's his last name. Did you know that? It's Wyatt Widoms. A meek collector who is mostly ignored by the rest of the office. He's played by Stephen Root. 
who's one of my favorite actors of all time, hands down, period. Steven Root. Golden God. He's amazing. I feel like character actors really don't get the just deserves that they get. Oh, yeah. That they, they should get. They and he's should. done, I mean, We're Dodgeball, do, this gonna, movie. Uh, he's on Barry he's right on now. Barry. Aren't we going to do a season on character actors? Aren't we? Didn't we talk we, about that at some point? MJ, we've planned out like 10 years worth of seasons. We really have. Um, <laughs> we went on a, a tangent. So like, <laughs> well, we we're going to get constantly just like, we want to talk about this, but we want to talk about this, but we can't talk about that without talking about this first. So, <laughs> of course, a few things might come up in the next 10 years that Again, push some other things out. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. There have been a We're lot flexible. of like flexibility with this year, and it's year one, so <laughs> it's all going to be a ride, my friend. It's a push and pull. Things How is this season around. two and year one? So we do 10 episodes per season. Per season. Oh. So we really so we're get doing four, four seasons, seasons a year. In a year. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yes, I know. We just have, I want to I wanna talk about a lot, and I just need to categorize it in seasons to keep my brain in a, like a functional manner. It's helpful for everyone. <laughs> and we're going to end every year with what we call a merry movie miss. And we're going to start in October with Halloween movies and go through November and into December. Thanksgiving movies, all few of them. That yeah, there's not that many Thanksgiving movies. A Turkey for the President with Ronald Reagan. What? There's a movie oh, called The Turkey what? for the President that Ronald Reagan starred in. What? And okay. when he was elected, I was like, uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> well, that makes sense. Okay. That was not on my list of Thanksgiving it movies, to but now, now I think it needs to be. <laughs> again, flexibility. we got to shift some yeah. things around again. <laughs> throw, throw those suggestions. <laughs> turkey for the President. Okay. We're adding. We're going to watch my one of my favorite uh, Thanksgiving movies is Home for the Holidays with Anne Bancroft and Robert Downey Jr., Holly Hunter. It's one of, oh my gosh, I'm just blanking on her name, Jodie Foster, one mm. of her very first director-like movies, directorial movies. Mm-hmm. It's it's intense. I, it's a good one, though. I know I've seen it, and I can't remember it. As you're oh, saying, well, I mean, the actors are winning. Yeah, I did. Think yeah, about yeah, right. It, it was like, you know what? Yeah, it's always Thanksgiving. Played, <laughs> it's played at Thanksgiving every year, and it's always played at like nine o'clock at night mm-hmm. because it's a little bit depressing. <laughs> and who really wants to hang? We've just had to sit around with our family for hours all day. Who really wants to sit around and watch Anne Bancroft and Holly Hunter scream at each other? Like oh. my I, favorite Thanksgiving comedy, though it was TV, was was the the third rock episode of their first thanksgiving did you watch that show oh i did but i don't remember I, you know what honestly tv shows specifically their holiday episodes are always my favorite thanksgiving christmas they, always the best because they were trying to impersonate humans and always trying to 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 get it right yeah. with what mm-hmm. they should be it was hysterical they they are john sh- lithgow was brilliant in that show the, john lithgow is brilliant uh, in and a what's the tall blonde Oh, Chris. Anyway, she's at the at the supermarket and sees people. There's a run on these big frozen balls of butter. Because uh-huh. <laughs> there must be like a, a, a disaster coming or something. Everybody's going for this and for sticks of butter and for bread. Mm. <laughs> and so she she like Christian buys, John. Christian Johnson. Thank you. That's yeah, that's her name. Like Christian Christian Johnson. Johnson. She fills a, an entire shopping cart with with these big frozen balls of butter. <laughs> Brings those home. They're the whole family's fighting. Yeah, the kids don't show up for for the meal, and by the end of it, when they'd have the recap on the on the roof, then um, 
Jane Curtin, Mary, <coughs> um, tells them, she starts talking about her family and how everybody fights, and all of a sudden they realize they got it right. Honestly, that's oh, my... We did it right. That's the reason why I love that show, is through all this like adversity, and they keep thinking they're not being human, but in them not being human, they're being more human than, they than ever. Think, yeah. <laughs> that's a really great show. If... You've never seen Third Rock from the Sun. It's I think it's still on Netflix. It's around. Probably. You can find yeah. it. Please yeah. do. Uh, back the to the office. would probably even have it. The, I just started getting... I, I got Spinal Tap from the library. We were talking $15 to, to rent it for one viewing on TV. And I was like... Yeah, no. We run into that all the time and doing a movie podcast and trying to find these movies. We couldn't find Abbott and Costello. No, the library no, didn't I broke have down them. and I purchased an eight movie set on Amazon for that like was $10. For you and but I really love yeah. Abbott and Costello. So a lot of theirs are on YouTube. That's where I found it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That is free. also where we found Yeah, some we stuff. found a lot on YouTube too. YouTube. That's a good place to be. But, oh my God, the fucking construction. Uh, anyway, Welcome back to, to Office Space. So, Milton, poor dude. He has a hard time in this movie. Um, the staff of Inatech and kind of its general really suffers from top-heavy callous ma- management, especially Inatech's vice president, Bill Lumberg. Bill Lumberg. <laughs> That's how the guy next door says it. Who Peter, like, fucking hates. Like, he dreams about killing this dude. He hates his boss. But that's pretty, like, general, I feel I like, in American corporate culture. I don't know if I've ever felt culture. that feeling about wanting to do that to any of I my know, bosses. Right, right. Peter's girlfriend, Anne, persuades him to attend a hypnopet therapy session with a man named Dr. Swanson. <laughs> while under hypnosis, Peter, uh, while under hypnosis, Swanson dies before snapping Peter out of his trance. And so he's just what kicking great, it there. What a great start <laughs> to a movie. <laughs> he sleeps great that night. He sleeps most of the next day. He ignores phone calls from Anne, who breaks up with him, and tells him that she's cheating on him, which basically everybody in this movie till this point was like, Anne's probably cheating on you. But they didn't ever say it that way. They said it was like, yeah, they was like, I get this feeling that she's cheating on me. And they're like, yeah, I get that. There was no there was, yeah, I get that. He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> just seems like... She's the person that would do that. He also ignores calls from Lumberg because he was supposed to show up to work on Saturday and on Sunday. I'm sorry if my boss asked me to work on Saturday and Sunday and I was not scheduled. I was a Monday through Friday person. I would tell him to eat my dick because that's <laughs> well, my time, not your time. Yeah, but you, in, a corporate, not in, in a corporate setting, we've talked about this. Corporately, you really can't tell people to eat your dick as I, much as you would like to. I, that's what this whole movie is about. My oh, friend, yeah, do you she's see? She's not in corporate America. I know. Which <laughs> I have worked in corporate America. I was like, have like, you, you seen me in corporate America a lot? No. <laughs> Um, Peter begins to start dating Joanna, a waitress at the restaurant next door to Inatech. Upgrade. It is an upgrade because it's Jennifer Aniston. Well, and also this she's is not like, cheating on him. And she's not cheating on him, so also a plus. And she wears flair. I was she just about to get to her flair. She wears pieces of flair. This is, uh, it's called tchotchkes. It's obviously like TGI Fridays-esque. Shenanigans. Shenanigans. That was from, yeah. Whatever. Applebee's. Lots of pieces of flair. 
But she only has 15. She has the minimum, because that's what the minimum is. 15. 15 is the minimum. Pieces of flair. Her boss is constantly harassing her for not wearing more of the stupid fucking flair. Her boss, played by Mike Judge. Played, played by Mike Judge. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, at Inatech, a pair of business consultants, Bob Slidell and Bob Porter, the Bobs, the Bobs <laughs> are brought in to help downsize the company. Peter finally shows up at work. Because he's rested all weekend. He looks great. <laughs> he's not wearing... He said, fuck it. It's, it's casual, casual Friday every, every day. He's just showing up in whatever. His hair is a mess. He does not care. He Lip tears blocks. down the wall of his cubicle so he, he can have a nice it view. He pushes it over. He's just, you know, he's on a new level. He's and everyone what, needs to get to where he's at. He's doing what everyone who's ever worked in a cubicle has wanted to do. Exactly. Um, impressed by his frank insights about Inatech's problems, the Bobs decide to promote him. <laughs> <laughs> because he's not being challenged enough. <laughs> he showed up in his shitty clothes to an interview with his boss's bosses and got a promotion. Well, if he, we could all, all just do that. Well, he uses TPS reports to help clean fish guts <laughs> oh yeah that was he had gone that fishing was, and then showed up and then just got that was fish. after but that is <laughs> that, that, that yeah. is pretty great to use your work reports to clean oh, fish but he admits that he doesn't work on those reports oh, oh yeah, yeah no i love in the interview he, he, i do about 15, 15 minutes. minutes of actual work <laughs> in any given week <laughs> <laughs> or the thing that you can relate to because you said it was a top heavy executive's staff there's he has eight different bosses coming by his desk <laughs> in a day to tell him the exact same thing if or he call makes a him mistake. or email him did you get yeah. that memo you don't need 12 people asking you if you got the memo one is plenty um unfortunately his friend samir and michael bolton <laughs> are getting fired so michael uh not michael not michael peter there's yes. a whole group of them. There's too many <laughs> men in this movie. Michael There's Peter not and enough Samir, women yes. in this movie. <laughs> um, they decide that they're going to sneak a computer virus into Inatech software to siphon off fractions of pennies into a bank account so they it's can not over stealing. time. It's not stealing. It's like the penny jar, MJ. Let's take a penny, leave a penny. Yes. But yep. except it's fractions of pennies instead of whole pennies. Whole pennies. His justification, the whole monologue where he's trying to justify it to Jennifer Aniston. She's like, no, dude, I think that's stealing. Like, no, 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 I don't think you understand, which, let's be real, that's a lot of conversations that we've had with p people in relationships. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't think you get it. You're like, no, I get it. I think you I just, just don't you think don't you get, get it. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, we should talk about Milton a little bit. Milton's continuing to have a hard time. Uh, they keep moving his desk around. Yeah. They find out in this whole Bob Bob fiasco, they find out that Milton got fired five years ago. Um, and then through some he didn't computer... He get fired, he got laid off. There's a difference. Okay, he got laid <laughs> off. But there was a computer glitch, and he was still getting a paycheck. So instead of telling him he didn't have a job, they just fixed the glitch. Fixed the glitch. And Heavy moved quotes. his ass to the basement. <laughs> After several other moves. Prior oh, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. And confiscating his red swing line stapler. Oh, I have a fun factoid about that later. Oh, yeah? You're going to give me some swing line stapler facts? Oh, yeah. Um, so they've decided, like I said, they're going to, they finally successfully uh, put that virus in. 
Um, it does not go well. It backfires because Michael Bolton is not as great of a computer wizard as he thinks he is. I always make that one mistake. I always screw up one minor detail. Like, that's not a it's minor decimal detail. point. It's it's not not decimal it was two decimal points, too. It was two decimal yeah, it's points. A big one. It's a big one. And they get $300,000 over a weekend. Oops. $305,000.21. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean... I mean, if you're going to give a middle finger to your boss, that I mean, that's a pretty clear middle finger. Oh, yeah. I like, twins, that's Michael. My, my, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is this next scene where Orlando Jones shows up as, like, Oh, my <laughs> God, I love our magazines. <laughs> and he, he says that he's, he used to well, be, he's got I used dead to be eye. addicted to crack. <laughs> he has a dead eye, but he's like, ha, I used to be addicted to crack. And now all I can do is sell these magazines to try to help my... <laughs> He just looks so unloaded. And they start grilling him about how to launder money. Look, man, I, I, that was all, that was all a lie. <laughs> was, I'm actually a software I'm engineer, a software just engineer. like they were. I make more money doing this than I ever do do with software engineering. What does that they, say about society? Is that he, as a black man, is able to go around telling the people that he was addicted to crack and that buying Jet magazine is going to save his <laughs> reputation and his life. But being a software engineer... <laughs> Makes him That's America, my friends. That's America. At a weekend party, Peter hears rumors that uh, from his really shitty bro coworker that Joanna was sleeping with Lumberg in the past. First of all, sidebar relationships. If you're fucking someone now, it doesn't matter in the past. Like your relationship is now and in the present, and whatever was the past is the past. And he got real hyphy over something that was none of his business. Comes to find out, it's not even the same Lumberg. It's a different Lumberg, a young Lumberg, a Lumberg he used to work with and completely forgot about that then like moved. So he and Joanna get in a big fight and two they years break ago. up. Yeah, <laughs> it's years ago. Two, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Joanna, poor Joanna. At this point, she's all in a huff post-breakup. She goes into work. She gets in another fight with her boss about flair. <laughs> if 15 is the minimum, it's the minimum. If you want 37 the minimum, then make it the minimum. I mean, Which she has a Which is a legitimate point. thing. Like, that's a point. Don't tell me that it's the minimum and then sit there and bitch at me that I need more. Tell me that you need between a range, maybe. Yeah. Yes, yes, there are ways to communicate. Instead, she tells him to go fuck himself, gives him a big middle finger in front of him and customers, and throws down her flair. Besides, she had been taken out to lunch. She did. At a restaurant next door that had much better uniforms. Oh, and yes. was, like, snazzy. <laughs> I mean, they had tablecloths. And silverware on the I table. I know, she was real impressed by that place. And red shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no flair. Zero flair at that place. It was high class compared oh. to <laughs> Chalkies. Cho- what was the one she was? Chalkies. Chalkies. What was the other one they went to? Oh, I don't Start remember. Start with a W or a... Not Reggie's, no. but like... Something in the yeah. same vein. Yeah, there was one. Oh, well, and then there was a chili. She was like, you want to go to the chilies across the street? And no. Or this other <laughs> The one. other place. Um, so the next morning, Monday morning, Peter drives in. Post, he, well, let me back up. He's reconciled with Joanna after finding out it's the wrong lumber. Mm-hmm. He kind of sticks his foot in his mouth and says he's sorry and they make up. It's fine. 
a-okay. She's very forgiving. Yes. It's an early relationship. It's a first fight. He's an idiot. It's fine. So he goes to work to Inatech the next day to, you know, confess and do the whole nine yards, get arrested. And he shows up and the building's on fire. Why? Milton. Do you know how many days I woke up at a job I had at one point in my life and wished that that had happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Every day. <laughs> Again, there are parts of this movie that like, really reside it, in my well, heart every day. Because it looked look like that kind of building, too. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. just like, oh. <laughs> so Milton ha- being very upset with the treatment. He has been mistreated greatly. They took his swing line. They took his desk. They took his view. Now he's not getting paychecks. And he may or may not have set a small fire that turned into a big fire. Not before stealing Lumberg's uh, traveler's checks. (laughs) Smart. So, you know, Peter gets off scot-free. He gets to split all this money with the two other dudes. Everyone's happy. Milton Did is... Did they get to split no, the money? No, he left the money he, in the building. He yeah, put it in the checks, it, and that was the checks. Yeah, that, they, oh, they had to keep the money Milton had. had. Uh, Milton had the $305,000 is yeah, what, what I thought. I mean, they didn't show it, but I he thought. saw that on the floor as he walked in. And the door wasn't locked, which Peter didn't try it after because he tried to keep the thing back. He That's just right. shoved him on. I for I forgot that that I thought that was his confession. Remember, I forgot that was the job. And, and the money. And then remember, he tries to go back for it. Yeah, yeah. it was like uh, bank checks or something. I don't. Anyway, it was like the money was there, so probably there was a way for Milton to use it. I mean, Milton's complaining on a beach at the checks, end of it. Yeah, so he's living his happy life. The company didn't get that 300000 back. <laughs> well, they had other things to worry and about. And now they couldn't trace it. What happened to it? I know. The movie ends with palm trees and smiles. Except for if you worked at that resort that Milton was at. But he had salt at. on his glass. They and he didn't salt, like big, salt on his glass. Big and it was grains. Big grains of salt. Big grains of salt. And he got a pina colada instead of a Mai Tai. Yeah. He had problems still. So big grains of salt. <laughs> salt everywhere. Uh, why should we give a shit about this movie? Because it's amazing. The end. The segment segment over. (laughs) Mike Judge. Amazing individual. Best writer ever. I mean, he has written some great stuff. In this movie, you pointed it out to me. I never really, like, consciously heard it before. But Mike Judge did King of the Hill, the TV show King of the Hill. And him playing the, the boss in this, he does sound a little like Hank Hill. Oh, There's yeah. a little Hank Hill-esque in there. I think that's his, like, modern-day man. Kind yes, of middle his everyman. Everyman, middle yes. America, yeah. So did you know that this movie was based on shorts that Mike Judge wrote? No, I did not. I didn't so know So it was either. four shorts. Um, and they seven were all years called ago. Milton. It was like... The, the stories of the Milton. The stories about Milton. Yeah. Um, it was named after a co-worker that he worked with in Silicon Valley early on in his life. Um, they first aired on Liquid Television and then Night After Night with Alex Haley and then eventually had some air on Saturday Night Live. And then, you know, someone decided that those were funny enough to put into a movie. Um... What the guy that he worked with, the Milton that he worked with, 
was pretty much verbatim the Milton that we see Stephen Root portray. He is quoted as saying the whole concept was based on something he said to a different co-worker. You don't really want to know what Milton does after work. No. Mm-mm. You don't know what ha- you don't want to know what happens at his house, and that's kind of where this all sort of stemmed from. Is this weird guy named Milton, and like really not wanting to get close to him. But what is he like really? And he's just kind of the, like the ghost hero of this movie, <laughs> but also the guy who's gonna light the building on fire. That that <laughs> that too. The guy that you don't want to get too close to because you don't want to piss him yeah. off when he goes postal. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was interesting because in 1999, I wasn't, I mean, I saw this in theaters with my parents. Did you really? I did. My this was one of the ones where my mom would always, they wanted to go see movies that were funny to them. And so she'd always be like, cover your ears. And then she'd cover my eyes and she'd do this, but then she'd always not be paying attention. So there'd be an open <laughs> My dad did there. that with me. And I'd be oh. like, yes, I can see everything. And of course, <laughs> yeah. I was left up to p- plugging my ears. So I would just be like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know whether I, I must have seen this in the theater originally because I didn't realize from the name of it until I started to watch it. Mm-hmm. And then I went, oh, it's that movie. <laughs> oh, wait. I, I feel <laughs> I like that's wait the reputation. the flair. <laughs> that's the reputation this movie gets. Is, oh, yeah, it's that movie. I feel mm-hmm. like that's really <laughs> you can take away. Which, on that's why we call the stuff on our website for our merch flair. Flair, yeah. We call our merch flair. Direct inspiration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This movie is just a really beautiful satire on corporate culture in the oh, 90s. Yes. They do talk about the Y2K switch. <laughs> That's the whole thing that they're doing at Inatech is switching over for the Y2K thing. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's well, it's it really was... funny and quaint to go back and think about how chaotic it was in 1999. Well, that yeah. and Idiocracy, they, that hold, too. they both hold up. And mm-hmm. the reason being, too, is why that movie was so realistic to us. It was my stepdad. Like I said, he had worked through the Y2K thing. And then he worked in a cubicle because that's how all those places were. Everywhere in the night, cubicles were like huge in the 80s and the 90s and, and before that, but they got smaller and smaller and there were whole businesses dedicated to making cubicle furniture. It's obnoxious, but all of that was very real for us. So they were, when we saw the movie, they were like, oh my God, this is hilarious. But it's just, it resonates within corporate culture culture today still it's just, and even it's outside of real. corporate culture just any sort of higher hierarchy system if you have a manager who has a manager this movie probably resonates a little bit yeah. with you yeah <laughs> the well, micromanagement the within america is real because well, there's the restaurant industry bit that to too. it as well yeah. they go outside of that to that but we also lived in southern california and that's what a lot of those suburbs in Southern California had those kind of in a tech places mm. and they all looked like buildings like that. They all look the same. So when Orlando Jones comes up and he's like, Oh, I worked at this other place that has another kind of techie name. That's literally what it was is like Ontario in California near Rancho Cucamonga where I live. That's what it was, was just dry, plain looking buildings that were all the same, that all had cubicles and everybody just, that was what it was. But 
it was great if you were a Girl Scout because you could just send that list with your parents and they would, everybody would just go for it. I never, I didn't have to go to door to door. I just gave the list to my parents. So my dad has worked in mental hospitals most of his career. So I didn't get to just like send those fundraisers with dad to work Ooh, no. because most everyone was in a padded cell. Well, they're probably not really going to be buying like well, wrapping papers. Said that they would buy lots of cookies from you, but you wouldn't be able to cash in that check. <laughs> They'd be writing your like completely handwritten checks. Here you go. It's on my hand. You can just erase that and save it for the next person. Yeah, both my parents worked in hospitals, so that really wasn't like a thing I got to do very much. It was grocery stores, knocking on doors, and I used to buy. All- Dozens of boxes of Girl Scout cookies and hide them in my closet. Because <laughs> they're amazing. And go in my closet and eat them. <laughs> That's yeah. why in a neighborhood, too, like once I got older, we were always like, who's the, who's the neighborhood Girl Scout? Because she's going to get like all of our orders because we're ready for it. But, you know, I think it's great that they station them outside of grocery, grocery stores, stores now. Because yeah. now I don't have to like hunt down people with children. <laughs> that's true I don't know that many people with I was going to say the grocery store thing is always a good setup but then also they get you there they're little sweet girls and they're I like well, we're Girl Scouts and they look at you and they're like but You're they still take cash you spending money on food you can spend some money on this food and well they still take cash so you'd always have to be like let me go in there and get cash for you like they yeah. shake you down at the front but I'm they sure really now do. you're going to have some little Gen, just here, I treat Gen the Girl Scouts <laughs> just like I treat the homeless people. Just don't make eye contact, and they won't talk to uh-huh. you. But you can't because little girls. It's harder, you know. The Gen LMNOP, and they probably have a square, and they're like, "It's okay. You can just Venmo the Girl Scouts." You can just tell them you're diabetic. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if I eat one, <laughs> I also love the the traffic scenes in that movie. Oh yeah. That and taking the printer for a ride. Uh, well, that's the most notable and scene. And getting a baseball bat out to take care of it. Oh yeah, now I think about I think about them taking down that printer a lot because I'm always <laughs> yelling. Remember back in the '80s when you used to just be able to slap and blow on some piece of technology and, and then it, it would work, work again? Blow yeah, the dust out. It. Let's let's be let's go back to that because that shit lasted forever too. Those things are still around. This flimsy smartphone crap. You gotta get a new one every other year. As I drop my phone, it's flimsy because you <laughs> drop it every. No, I just remember too because when I went to co- when I first got off to college, I'd gone to art school. And we had this one printer. It was a Konica Minolta, and it printed. And at an art school where there's designs of every color is important, but it printed everything yellow. Like, everything was slightly yellow, and I just used to fantasize. Same thing. This movie's a real fantasizing movie. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He just plays out all the things printer. you've already thought about in your head at work, and he puts them on screen. Say, oh, you've yes. done it for me. I don't have to set the building on right. fire now. Well, there was this female sculptor at my last job, and she was amazing. I wish that she would, like, adopt me as and to be one of her grandkids, because she had... Safety glasses, of course, in the car, but she also had the soundtrack to Office Space so that they did something like that with, I don't know if it was a printer or something else. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Yeah, well, not... We get to put that on our spot. We have a Spotify... Like playlists, and we do one for every season. We put all the good songs, all the from good all the music, movies. not yeah. everything. I mean, and then well, turning it down when the guy goes. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's so good. 
Oh my gosh, it was Why so good. Up to lock the door? <laughs> oh yeah, that was just like oh, oh my god, white people. No. Okay, oh, so Michael you said Bolton. you had some some swing line, some swing stuff. line fun. Yeah, no. So this stapler was a big deal after this movie came yes. out. It actually, like you know, office supply stores everywhere had <laughs> a really big issue. Do you want to know why? Because of Stephen Root. No, I know you'd like to think it was just specific. <laughs> yeah. So there's an article. Before Office Space, the 94-year-old office supply company's fame was confined mostly to small world. the small world of stapling enthusiasts is the way that it's placed. <laughs> stapling enthusiasts? Um, I know. This is my... <laughs> Oh, I have something to sell to them. <laughs> oh, you're like, oh, I'm ready. It's it's 1939 invention of a top opening stapler revolutionized the stapling industry, according to the company website. But even that even that achievement didn't quite make the brand a household name. While Swingline was diligently turning out office supplies, screenwriter and filmmaker Mike Judge was in the process of directing his first live-action feature film, a satire of the most soul-crushing aspect of the workplace. For veracity's sake, producers wanted a real-life office supply company to lend its name to a key subplot involving a mumbling, bumbling employee named Milton and his beloved red stapler. Bostitch said no. <laughs> Boston said no. So producers turned to one of the last big names in stapling, Swingline, a division of ACO brands or ACCO brands. Swingline was the only company that didn't object, Judge told the Ringer website in an oral history of office space. One problem, Swingline only made staplers in gray and blue. So Milton's stapler needed to pop on the screen. A, a production designer painted it red, tweaked the shape a bit with putty, and most the most famous stapler in movie history was born. So because of that, the movie released in theaters on February 19th, 1999. It was initially a, a box office bust. Which did you know that? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, I did. It Just because time, I, I mean, '99 <clears throat> man, comedies people are going. To to the movies to see comedy. There was They're a lot of stuff. They're going to see big blockbuster yeah. stuff. Blockbuster, was... it was all about not only blockbuster, but blockbusters in the movies. Too. Yeah, that, and, that and as well. And people were questioning Jan Jennifer Aniston's ability to go from the small screen from to the film. Yeah, from Some yeah. people mm -hmm. were real critical. They were trying to really bank on her name to bring people into this. <laughs> yeah. And people were really like, yeah, but she's the bitch from Friends. <laughs> but she's just that person. Or Leprechaun, depending on how long you've been following oh, her <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. She's always He's like, I'm not great. I'm not proud of she that. She doesn't want to own up to that movie, but that is a great fucking movie. Well, it's where you got your start, you know? <laughs> but so it, it was a bust, but then on VHS and Comedy Central airings, it gained a cult following it and did. it started to grow. And so, it, yeah, it found its niche like a year, maybe or so after its, after its release. But, uh, what was it? <clears throat> When the film was first released, Swingline declined to license any official merchandise. The F-bombs and sex jokes of an R-rated film didn't quite fit the image of a staid mid Midwestern office supply company. Um, because, you know, 40, what was it? It was everywhere people were becoming aware of it and they were looking for it and you couldn't find it. There was counterfeit red swing lines going around on the internet Ooh. as well. So. Those are probably worth something now. Oh, I bet they are. <laughs> so, furthermore, the swing line stapler that appears in the film is no hero. It isn't 
it isn't there so its characters can marvel at its durability and superior stapling performance. It's bright red totem. It's a bright red totem of despair. When Milton loses his grip on his stapler, he loses it on everything else. There was a reason Bostitch said no. <laughs> I wonder if Swingline actually read because sometimes people don't read the script. They're like, "Ooh, a movie!" <laughs> like kind of like okay, sidebar. Uh, like if you follow other podcasts besides ours, hopefully you follow ours and others. Uh, Tom Skura. Christina Pajiski, they have uh, your mom's house, mm-hmm. and they were sponsored by McDonald's for like a month, and no and one at McDonald's, McDonald's had like, any idea what their podcast was about, <laughs> and they're like, they're dirty, they're nasty. They get into sometimes the they just the play internet. clips of like they play clips from the internet, and sometimes they like play clips of porn, and like McDonald's paid them like three million dollars or something they redid their whole studio and then they they bought cars and shit they wanted the money back oh my god you bought into something that's what you get though you buy into something sight unseen you don't do your research reinforcing the image of a clown yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that was mcdonald's fault this was you know swing line's fault if they weren't gonna read it well so but the other thing is once the size of the movie's cult following became more apparent Swingline leaned into the office space thing and so to its credit the company managed to take the most alienated character in a film about white collar misery and turn him into a team mascot. I love it. So that they eventually were like you can't fight this. Also come on. Like, team mascot. That's a really good segue. Is Christopher Guest who's in our next movie. Um, he directed a movie for Netflix. January 2010. My mother died in 2009. She lived in a house for 50 years and never <laughs> threw out anything. There's boxes of every school paper I wrote from grade school on, which are fascinating to read. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, oh, someone really should have been looking into this kid. <laughs> it's the same thing like McDonald's. You have to read. But Please read I stuff. have found I countless staplers and enough staples to supply... I don't know, a whole whole business for like 20, 30 years. There's just boxes and boxes of staples and staplers. So if there are staple enthusiasts out there, get in touch. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, do I have a deal for you? I hadn't really thought there was any market for those, but I haven't thrown them them out yet. We should learn something today. There is. We should sell them on the the merch site. Yeah, <laughs> miscellaneous we'll staplers. We'll, we'll slap our sticker on. And I frankly don't remember what what brand they are, but they are mostly gray. Oh, they shit. are mostly gray. They'll be. And blue. We get spray painted orange. <laughs> That's true. I like they do beige here and there. <laughs> we'll add a little putty so that we won't get any kind of copyright issues. Yeah, you know, it's great. <laughs> Boom. We might be able to take those off your hands. <laughs> new new merch. <laughs> Can we just make the photo of it just like a bo- just a box of miscellaneous staplers? Didn't that ghost just have net over it sometimes? Just oh, like- in the first in the first minute? Yeah, yeah, it was literally just like this white sheet net. You could literally see the, the dude's face. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was like obviously a man. veiled material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which just made me think that it was a guy in a in a sheet. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is a dude in a sheet. That whole movie was dude in a sheet. Mm-hmm. This last movie though. We had dudes and mustaches. 
Oh, look at your face. Like, sometimes I wish your face was translatable. It's too. her first mustache. <laughs> um, this is Spinal Tap, directed by Rob Reiner. Is it's probably one of my favorite mockumentaries of all time. It's a I good would, one. Yes. As we've noticed, a lot of the documentaries, because we did an episode earlier this season on documentaries, a lot of early documentaries were kind of mockumentaries, but unintentional because Mm -hmm. no one knew how to make documentaries yet. (laughs) So this one was an intentional mockumentary. Filmmaker Marty DeBergy is creating a documentary that follows English rock group Spinal Tap on their 1982 United States concert tour to promote their new album, Smells Like Glove. Smell the glove. Smell the glove. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Smell the glove. Smells well, I like smell, glove. I like smells like glove, too. <laughs> smell the glove, which, I mean, they're both gross. <laughs> yes. They're smelling things I don't really want to. The band comprises childhood friends David St. Hubbins, <coughs> Nigel Tufnell on vocals and guitar, bassist Derek Smalls, keyboardist Viv Savage, and drummer Mick Shrimpton. And I did say Shrimpton. His yes. name is Shrimpton. Yeah. <laughs> I just loved his last name. I've always thought his last name was Shrimpton. Okay. It's like if you were hanging out with John Frampton or Peter Frampton. But and he was eating shrimp. Eating shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> Shrimpton. They were <laughs> they were known as the originals until they found out another band had the exact same name, so they changed it to the new originals. <laughs> love that scene where they're going through all the names that they've had. And the drummers. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. And uh, that was a real thing back then. There were so many drummers who died who on were, stage. Yeah. We're gonna get to that. Yeah. yeah. They had a hit as the Themsmen, or sorry, the Themsmen, with their single Give Me Some Money before changing their name to Spinal Tap and achieving a minor hit with the flower power anthem, Listen to the Flower People. (laughs) (laughs) And their costumes as both of those bands were so spot on. Oh, absolutely. The Beatles look perfect. They finally transitioned to heavy metal, which is their final form. We've been talking about people like we watched a, a sidebar again. We watched an LGBTQ like stand up on Netflix the other day, and we were looking at all these people, and we're like, every all, all these people have evolved into their like final Pokemon form. Yeah, like Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell, where, like she's finally in the form that really matches her the best. Granted, the only thing she did was drum to a Cyndi Lauper song. That is exactly she, she did didn't really virtually do any stand up, <laughs> but she got she a introduction too well. as if as if she was from lily tomlin no less i know yeah again the, and then sandra bernhardt was on there too another woman who evolved into her final pokemon form she, really did. <laughs> she was Cho. probably a fire i would say she's a fire pokemon yes and rosie o'donnell would be, probably be an earth pokemon <laughs> what about what about margaret cho i feel like she's a snorlax snorlax <laughs> Marjorie Chose. Well, because you were saying that whenever you see her on TikTok, she's always laying around with her dogs. I do. Yeah, I follow her on TikTok. Marjorie Joe, please. I love Please Marjorie follow Cho. me on TikTok. Um, she's always just like hanging out, stitching people, like laying down with her animals. Just, it's a laying down existence for her at home, and I That's why it. I was thinking of Yeah, that. no, it's so great. I think it's more of a hedonism bot thing, though, from Futurama, where you just have this sort of, you know. Oh, speaking, you mentioned the drummers earlier. Several of their previous drummers died in strange circumstances. Spontaneous, spontaneous human combustion. 
a bizarre gardening accident. <laughs> that is choking on vomit. It's best not to ask. <laughs> I, know, I know. That's not. I can't trace Choking on vomit is realistic. I've, there's been a ton of rock stars who have yes. died choking mm-hmm. on their own vomit. But it wasn't their own vomit. It was someone else's. And they said, they, they, Chris said, you can't, you, you can't. Nigel said, you, you can't trace that, but nowadays they could. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can't. You remember? Oh, my God. Segments of Marty's film show David and Nigel to be competent but dim-witted and, and immature. <laughs> At one point, Nigel shows Marty a custom... This is probably the most famous scene of this movie at one point, Nigel shows Marty a custom-made amplifier that has volume knobs that go up to 11, <laughs> believing that it would make the output louder. Louder. Several of the band's tour shows are canceled because of low ticket sales, and major retailers refuse to sell Smell the Glove because of its sexist cover art, <laughs> which is also something that happened in real life. A number to of metal stones, bands right? in the 80s, 70s and 80s, Stones were one. I mean, there have been a number of bands that have had issues having their stuff sold in stores because their cover art is a little well, too the risque. the Beatles, even with their mm-hmm. white album, had gore on the front. Originally, yeah. yeah. Originally. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was white. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you can cover all that up. Which is why them doing their album cover where it's just all black is such a great <laughs> response. <laughs> Tensions arise between the bands and their the band and their manager Ian Faith. David's girlfriend Jeannie is a manipulative yoga astrology devotee. <laughs> She's joining. She is their Yoko, which I think oh, yeah. we should find a different person because really? I think we should not shit on Yoko as much. Did She's their Amber the, Heard. Did you see the the New Yorker? The, the new New Yorker has a really wonderful article about her. No, I no, learned but I, so I'd much love about to read her. it. I feel like just from what I've known about the band and like watching a lot of Beatles documentaries and stuff, they were fucked before she got involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were having issues. She really she just came in at the right time. The issues they were already having. Yeah, no, it was yeah. not her fault. We should let's do an Amber Heard. Let's don't be an Amber Heard. Don't ruin someone's life or their bed. <laughs> anyway, she joins the group on tour and participates in the band meetings. Influencing their costumes and stage presentation. This is essentially a callback to Yoko Ono because she did the exact same thing. She went to the band meetings. She got a little over vocal for a girlfriend who's not actually in the band. Oh, would, that, that was would, her problem. That would annoy was, the hell out of me. Yeah. Well, and in the article, they were saying that actually it was John who insisted on her being at his side all the time because he was afraid she would run off if he was like in oh. in a recording session and she what? wasn't right there that she would leave him and he wouldn't know oh, he about was the clingy one codependency he was like Ooh. six years younger than seven Whoa. years younger than her really yeah i mean yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, and she was from a really mm. wealthy family in japan oh. that she was 12 years old when the bomb was dropped oh, wow and she was in a very, it was dropped uh, in an area that was mostly workers' homes so that they, could, they couldn't go to the ammunitions factories and work and make ammunition. Yeah. And she lived in a mansion with 30 servants 
Her mother was, fr- was, was part of the family that owned the biggest bank in Japan. Oh, wow. And her father worked for another big bank. And they were, she like kind of turned her back on that, but she. Well, because she was an had, artist in the. In well, the- she had the benefit of like this outrageous uh, education mm-hmm. of tutors in the home. She was bilingual and she was taught Buddhism and Christianity and oh, like wow. got into philosophy and art because of that yeah. and was classically cha- trained plays the piano reads music Great. which none of the Beatles could do and her tone oh yeah and as musicians the Beatles are really terrible no, they literally learned how to be musicians basically after they got <clears throat> famous yeah. they were playing like easy coordinate yeah. you listen yeah. to all their early stuff it is like four chords beginner shit yeah. up until like they had the, people to teach them that was what was popular back yeah. then yeah. right it was just simple kind of mm-hmm. Man, you're dropping some truth bombs. Seriously. But this all makes a lot of sense. Do you know anything about their son, Sean Lennon? He's in a band with the lead uh, bassist and singer for Primus. And they have a band together. And, like, anytime I see their live performances online, Sean Lennon just seems like an individual who doesn't understand the reality that the rest of us live in. He wasn't raised on this planet. Correct. <laughs> and yeah. that that background, he probably spent time in Japan with those oh, people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That background it makes a lot more sense. Not just having his, not having his dad around, but then having like this massively wealthy Japanese family yeah. Yeah. like as part of his background. That uh, also makes a lot Although, right after up. the bombing, she had the flu. She was 12 years old and had the flu the night of the bombing. Oh, wow. And her mother took the ch- other children in the family and went into, they had like their own um, shelter that she went to. Mm-hmm. But... <clears throat> Yoko, because she had the flu, was left in the house. Now, when there's 30 servants, I'm sure she wasn't alone. But she watched, it was from a distance, she watched all the flares in the sky and stuff with the innocence of a child that she wasn't frightened by it. But then her mother came back and her father traveled all the time, was away at that time. And so the mother took the whole family and moved them, like many people, to farms. Mm -hmm. And there, nobody had enough food. And so they traded like their toys and their clothes and stuff. The kids traded their treasures for food. And she started um, having her brother. She would lie with her brother in the attic room where they where they were staying, and there were it was like a barn, and there was light coming through. And she would have him imagine the best meal that he could have. And she said that was where her art began, as being that the art in your head is is what's real yeah and Mm -hmm. that um and then she just finally was given credit half credit for the song imagine which was the biggest hit that john lennon ever had and he said at one time that it was kind of sexist that i didn't put her on the credits but apparently it was her idea of imagine and teaching him Mm -hmm. that and a lot of the words in it she wrote too. And so finally, she wrote a lot of she been given, a lot of stuff with him. She's finally been given credit Good. on that. From now See, on. I thought maybe John wanted her in there as like a mediator if they were yeah, getting that's along. Honestly, like, that's how a lot of documentaries kind of 
kind of put it that John and Paul were having such issues that he brought Yoko in to kind of like soothe things, which did not did not have the opposite anything. effect. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's insane. I'm mean, we're that's gonna have to so read awesome. that New, or- well, New Yorker art- article. But as the older I've gotten, the New more Yoko? I've been able <laughs> the New Yoko article. No, well, the New Yoko <laughs> Yorker Yoko. Um, I it's just you know women. We know how men are. I kind of sort of fit her, put the pieces together. And I was like, man, yeah. I feel like Yoko really got a bad she rap. Got bad rap. I know. Everybody the really whole art on. scene at that time was all all male. And she first was like in oh in yeah lower New York. She had a, a rented a loft on Chambers Street and did these kind of happening art things there. Yeah. And some other woman. There was one other woman involved who got, was given credit for it in all the reviews. Ugh. I mean, there were just like all these weird things that happened. And her, you know, and you always hear can't. about the. Well, I, this isn't for that. <laughs> this no, I know now. This is like such a tangent. But speaking of, uh, back to back to the movie. Their uh, band manager says that no, guys. I know that things don't seem great right now, but you're just like the Beatles. It's just like the White Album. It's gonna be okay. Except the Black Album. You're gonna you're gonna be fine, kind of, but probably not really. It's, it's gonna you know, get rough. Got from a here. bad rap too. Now I'm thinking it was Courtney is Courtney Love. Yes. She didn't kill Kurt Gobain, but well, she got she probably, so much. We're not she didn't help. Dude, that is a different, that is a different fucking tangent. podcast. We're going to get into that one. That Nigel tangent. suggests staging a lavish show and asks Ian to order a Stonehenge. <laughs> I can't even say where that word. Stonehenge. Stonehenge. It's because you have to say it the right Megalith. way. Stonehenge. Stonehenge Megalith. <laughs> I think this is my favorite part of the entire movie. I know. There's so many favorite parts of this movie. This movie's so good. However, Nigel rushing a sketch on, uh, however, Nigel. napkin sketch. Rushing a sketch on a napkin mislabels the dimensions. Yes. Resulting (laughs) (laughs) resulting that the prop is only 18 inches high (laughs) rather than 18 feet. So I just wanted, this is a sidebar for designers and engineers across the world. Two ticks, or two quotes, is inches, and one tick is feet. Well, if we go to the metric system, there'd never be this problem. <laughs> exactly. You'd never have this issue. Well, the funny thing but is that was too difficult in the one year we tried it here. It was just too challenging to move a decimal point. <laughs> I know. I remember seeing, like, articles and that, seeing, like... That's doc- why Office Space like, was also a thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a decimal point. It's a little too hard for Americans. We got to ease it up there. And the inches. irony is that the metric system would make it easier. Cups and quarts. Yes, all so. Either way, it's a it's a mistake. I I totally get it because it's a mistake that happens all the time. All the time. Yeah. That's why when I was designing dog toys, the wrong specs got submitted, and so something that was supposed to be this big came in this big. Wow. So we have these. I have three couch sized dog toys that he can never see because he'll want to play with them, but they're huge. Well, it's there funny. are some big dogs around. <laughs> there are big dogs that would totally work, but just like on a like. That was not the market that they were trying to coin. <laughs> the group blames Ian when uh, and when David suggests Jeannie should co-manage the group. Ian quits. <laughs> yeah. The tour continues, rescheduled into smaller and smaller venues. Nigel is marginalized by Jeannie and David at a gig at the United States Airport at a United States Air Force base. Nigel is upset by an equipment malfunction. <laughs> And quits mid-performance. 
<laughs> and another gig. We're dwindling members here. I don't know. We're down two. There wasn't that many people in the band to begin no. with. At their next gig, an amp uh, at in an amphitheater at an amusement park, <laughs> <laughs> the band finds that their re- repertoire is severely limited without Nigel. And improvise an experimental jazz odyssey. (laughs) It is poorly received. (laughs) At the last show of the tour, David and Derek consider exploring old side projects, such as musical theater production about Jack the Ripper. Before uh, Before they go on stage, Nigel arrives to a very cool reception from David and Jeannie, to tell them that their neck that their song Sex Farm has become a major hit in Japan and that Ian wants to rearrange a tour there. In the wings, as Nigel watches the band performing, David relents and invites him to join the band on stage, giving huge delight to everyone, but furiously pissing off his girlfriend. With Ian reinstated as manager, Spinal Tap reforms and performs a series of sold-out shows in Japan, despite the loss of their drummer, Mick, who explodes on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and then it is immediately replaced with another drummer. <laughs> okay, all right. I think okay. the odds are good for him, but this can't keep happening. Uh, I know, he's like, I think I'm going to be okay. I think they worked it out. Why should we give a shit about this movie? So many reasons. So many reasons. So many reasons. Okay, so this movie was almost entirely improvised. That makes me so happy. They were given outlines, but Rob Reiner basically was just like, free. Free yourselves, gentlemen. Do what you will. And, I mean... Well, and he surrounded himself with incredible talent. Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon. And all of them are writers and actors and improv. So they get the whole thing. So you knew. <laughs> so MJ, you knew a couple of these people, right? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. A few, a few, a few, a, few, a, few, a, few, a handful, a, few. a gaggle. Well, I worked at the Lampoon, and so I had met Tony Hindra, and uh, then did the first Lampoon show, stage show, which was Lemmings. And in that, Christopher Guest was in it, mm-hmm. um, and also John Belushi and Chevy Chase and Alice Platon and this wonderful keyboard player Paul Paul Jacobs. And they were going to say Paul Schaefer, and I was like, "What?" Well, oh, Paul Schaefer, <laughs> I knew too. He has a cameo in this movie. I mean, and Billy Crystal has one of my favorite lines oh, in the whole movie. Oh yeah, yeah, you know. Mine is money. Mine is money. It's such a I know, it's he has so this great. tiny little part, but... The, Him and Dana Carvey, did... right? Yeah, that's Dana Carvey. That was... No, with Bill, no, with Billy Crystal when he's oh, telling him, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Dana Carvey, yeah, who's, do, who's doing the other, yeah. the other bit. But, I mean, there were just great little... And Fran Drescher. I mean, there were just oh, so yeah. many great cameos in this movie. But, um, I mean, I give credit to, to Rob and to Christopher Guest, because I because I love Chris's other movies and they're just but then um, um, what's his name Michael McKean (laughs) yes I mean they all wrote it together and Larry Shearer is an Mm -hmm. amazing writer and I knew him too because he was friends with friends at the Lampoon 
So a lot of these people. So tell me about your experience about at the Lampoon because we watched Animal House last season, National Lampoon's Animal House. So the and I just rewatched a stupid stupid feudal gesture is the name of the movie that stars. um, I don't know that one. It's it's literally about the forming of. The National Lampoon. Oh, okay. And your friend Anne is played by yeah. Natasha Leone in oh. that movie. Oh, <laughs> okay. I have to watch it. Yeah, you're gonna have to. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd love to hear your your feedback. Oh yeah. gosh, well, um, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, it stars the guy, Last Man on Earth. Will Forte. Will Forte. I was like, it's a will. Which you were will? Looking at me because you knew wills. I was gonna be able to. Fill yes, in the it's blanks. a will. Yeah, Will Forte is in it. There's a bunch of other people in it, but yeah, it's about the starting of the National Lampoon. So I just rewatched that recently, and yeah. Well, so was, how was it like working at the ground level of the Lampoon? It was uh, interesting. There was a really sleazy guy named Maddie Simmons who had uh, done Weight Watchers magazine, and he before. <laughs> And he started one of the first credit cards, um, and and he decided to help the Princeton Lampoon come national. And so he brought George Tro and Henry Beard um, from from the Harvard Lampoon, Princeton mm-hmm. Lampoon. I'll have a war going one, on. One, yeah, <laughs> one of those. Harvard Unless Lampoon. you went to Harvard or Princeton, you're probably yeah, not going to yeah. be upset about it. And, and my connection with it was that I was friends with Michael O'Donohue. The first, very first show I did in New York was three Breton plays at the Cafe Agogo the night that the Cafe Agogo first the electricity went out to your nerves and the Cafe Agogo closed. Mm-hmm, <laughs> but, but um it was it was fun and I and got to know this really weird man, Michael O'Donohue, who lived in a loft building when nobody lived in loft buildings in Soho. I mean there was no one else living there. There were just, there was like mafia on the streets. Mm-hmm. There oh were there were meat markets there. There were I mean literally of meat. <laughs> Right next to sides of bees and mannequin factories. <laughs> I know that. I'm very familiar with that. It was an interesting place. But uh, he remained one. I met him when I was 19, and he was one of my best friends until he died um, way too soon in the 90s. And um, he and George Trow were really good friends, and George worked uh, at the New Yorker writing on the town. And then he hadn't had worked at the Harvard Lampoon, at Harvard, and then Maddie Simmons like brought all these people together, or somehow they got together with Maddie Simmons, who produced it. And we used to have to go to parties at Maddie's house <laughs> with his teenage boys, who were like these real, s- uh, <laughs> were like, like sleazy father, <laughs> like like, like sleazy father, like sleazy sons. Gross. <laughs> He had a swimming pool, so we'd all be in swimsuits. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, no, Maddie, and and the big thing was to try and keep Maddie out of the creative decisions at the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> keep him down the hall. No, tell him we're having a meeting. <laughs> tell him a different time. <laughs> Anne was the first female staff employee mm-hmm. at the Lampoon, and never had an office of her own. Mm-hmm. All the guys had oh. offices, and she'd sit on the floor of whichever, mm-hmm. oh whoever. That's literally, like, in the movie, Stupid Future, that's literally what she does. She just, like, crashes on the floor the whole time. But no she one gives was, her a chair. 
She's a woman. Women don't get chairs. <laughs> but she was amazing because she was, I mean, it was a time when it was really hard because Women's Lib was starting to have a name for itself and mm-hmm. starting to be something that people really understood. At the same time, we were all brought up to be little homemakers. Of course. <laughs> Anne was such a cook. Oh, my gosh. And, like, very feminine. Mm-hmm. At the same time, real ballsy in her career. She knew she what she wanted, and she went after it and right got it. Right on. So cool. Right? Yeah. And was always a lady. <laughs> so you can be a lady and a badass at the same yeah, time. Yeah. It's possible. You had to. <laughs> right. Yeah, you have to. That's really yeah. what it is. So lemmings. But oh, and no, then no, no, no. lemmings. Tony, I just I want to know it all. MJ. Okay. Well, Tony Hinder came to the Lampoon. He and he and Nick had come in the '60s as a this comedy team. At the same time that there was a Canadian English comedy team called, um, oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on their name. It'll come to me because they were my favorite of the two groups. <laughs> There's That's, so many good comedy, not just comedy teams, but comedians that come out of Canada. Oh, yeah. They're like our oh, nicer, yeah. sweeter cousins. Is it Time cousins. Step too? Might be. Anyway, one of them was, was English and one was Canadian. And mm. Anne dated the Canadian who was absolutely insane. Insane. Person. Oh, oh insane. I thought you were going to say oh. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah I, I also thought you were going to say gorgeous. And I was like, no, <laughs> no absolutely. <laughs> was, I mean, someone who, when they split up, he took scissors and cut up all her clothes. <laughs> <laughs> That's some crazy petty <laughs> shit that I do. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I made someone, I paid someone in pennies one time, MJ. That's like, why I'm I call things you petty in pennies. <laughs> and that person's still friends with me. Oh, wow. <laughs> Petty pennies, that's what I call it. Oh. <laughs> well, they, Tony and Michael started, most, which was Michael's idea, and Tony worked with him on a thing called Radio Dinner, which was a radio show. Mm-hmm. And um, they did an album. And then there was started to be friction, and Tony was really the kind of person who, to the day he died, was just number one. That was the only one who was important, uh, whatever... You know, ethics mm-hmm. are if it if if I look good, that's fine. He was notorious for not giving people credit or paying royalties to like with Lemmings. Uh, Sean Kelly, who's a wonderful Canadian writer, did a lot of the writing on that show. Has never been paid a penny. Seriously, wow. Um, Paul Jacobs wrote a lot of the music. Gary Goodrow compute competed com- contributed. Um, you know, and Chris wrote the whole summer before before lemmings went on we all stayed out at the the compound the hinder compound the hinder ullet compound they had two houses side by side out in the countryside in new jersey and just everybody stayed out there almost nonstop, at least for long weekends if they had week jobs like what we would call an incubator of sorts yes the yeah, children everybody was would call there. an incubator mm-hmm. however Comedy house, I didn't even know enough to ask for credit for the things that I contributed. I was never given any credit. And the idea for the show came at a, um, we were, we'd hang out at the Plaza Hotel bar on the weekend because a lot of people took the train home <laughs> for the weekend, for the weekend. So on Friday night, we'd all congregate there. And we were laughing, thinking we were so cool being so, I don't know, cold 
blooded about the whole Woodstock and hippie thing that hippies had died. And we were, and I laughingly said, oh, one day they'll just come to kill themselves to rock music. Which, <laughs> <laughs> thinking I was so a <laughs> woman of the world, <laughs> blasé about this dead hippies. So um, that was the spark for Lemmings because Lemmings was the festival of peace, love, and death where hippies like lemmings to the sea come to off themselves to rock music. <laughs> and one of the, the, we started out like doing the second half of the show. The first half of the show was political because it was at a time when first um, Agnew was having to resign. And um, uh, it's really hard for me these days. I don't know if you watch Futurama at all. Oh, but yeah. The, uh, it's really hard Agnew. for me to hear. <laughs> That's exactly what I hear. Alice Clayton was in that show, and everybody called her Tiny Alice. She was a Broadway star show person from the time she was a child, and she was only four foot eleven. This little thing with oh this huge voice. She did a Mick Jagger number in oh, in the show. Wow! And really like a, a musician with her voice, mm-hmm. and you know, and and really funny. And she helped write. She did a sketch that was Agnew's wife's diaries. She <laughs> 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 would be writing to the dear diary. Oh <laughs> what my was happening God. in the <laughs> And then, during the time we were doing the show, Watergate happened at the end of the Vietnam War. So the first half of the show had some, like, high school-type sketches, Mm -hmm. humor, of which I was the brunt of the humor, because I was the little, the girl with the heart necklace. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The guys were, like, hanging uh, disgusting things in my locker. I won't go into it. (laughs) Okay. I mean... (laughs) You could go into it if you want, but if it's a secret for you, that's okay. Well, I, I learned the meaning. I was such a hick from, <laughs> and I thought I was so early in New York, but I had never heard the term scumbag before, and I learned what a scumbag was from John Belushi when he hung one in my in Mary Lou's locker. <laughs> I mean, I've heard the term, but I guess it's I didn't a, really It's know. a rubber that's full of... Oh my oh god. No. Oh no. Scum. It's full of scum. Oh no. I mean, <laughs> the that horrible also question for Belushi. Yeah. I mean, the, the horrible question that comes to mind afterwards is like, was it his? Probably. <laughs> well, I had to have him tell me what it was. What, oh. what that meant, you know, when he called, yeah. called me that. <laughs> oh my god. It's like that, but Jim Belushi. That major educator. Severely watered John, down. John Belushi. Yeah. Jim is his but brother. That, the yeah. one that's still his alive. His brother. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That show. When I finally left that show, I I realized how physically nerve wracking doing that show had been. Because I was out of a troupe from Cafe La Mama that I'd worked with for a long time, Tom Myers, and that's who I went to uh, London with and had done shows and, and filming and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were a rep company that, I mean, in those days, almost everybody at one time or another did a show tripping on acid. Mm-hmm. And everybody in that company would take care of you if you were the one who was just <laughs> yeah. They nice. would make they would come up with lines on the spot that made you look good. Nice. When you had forgotten your line, you know, or yeah. you're blocking. Lemmings was the exact opposite. Tony hired people 
because I was all part of the hiring process too. I helped him hire and I played the piano, mm -hmm. accompanied everybody to sing and, and sang with them and suggested songs and d did all this stuff of, of casting. Mm -hmm. And Tony picked people who did not like each other. Oh. And I'd go, those two, those two were like, <laughs> they're like oil and water together. Oh those gosh. two are not, yeah. you know, they're not compatible. They go, that will give energy to the show. And so I did that show. And I was in, I was giving up acting at the time. I helped with the writing, helped with the casting. Mm -hmm. But I was dedicating my life. I'd found found this incredible teacher, Samford Gold, who was a jazz piano teacher. And I was taking from him, and I was practicing eight hours a day. And I was everything was just to pay for my piano lessons. Mm -hmm. And that was what I want, a direction I wanted to go, just playing keyboard. Mm -hmm. And they cast the show, and I talked them into cat, to cat, uh, hiring my... He was like my first boyfriend I'd lived with, and we had just separated. Mm -hmm. But he was a stage manager and had been a stage manager all his life. And I said, hire Peter as the stage manager for the show. So they did. Mm -hmm. So a month into rehearsals, one of the girls they had hired was just not working out. She couldn't carry a tune. She didn't understand humor. She was uncomfortable on stage. Mm -hmm. The guys hated her. And so Peter convinced Tony that he needed to hire me because I knew the show. And mm -hmm. I had experience and I could do it. And so I kind of begrudgingly came into the cast a month after they'd been in rehearsal, and everybody, I mean, it was gratifying at first because everybody was like, oh, finally, <laughs> finally, somebody. Yes, okay, <laughs> yeah, you understand the timing. You can sing, okay. Yeah, okay. you get all these things. <laughs> but then it got to be, a sh it was really a cutthroat cast, and those Chevy, John, and Chris would try to undermine you on stage every night. Really? It's like I was ready to throw up right before going on stage every night because I never knew what was going to happen. Okay, I have a question about Chevy Chase since you've been in the same breathing <laughs> space as him. <laughs> so he has dust. been rumored to be a giant dickhole. Like, mean. He was one of the reasons why Community didn't go on longer yeah. and why he got fired from Community. Yeah. Has that always been a thing or is that something well, that he developed over time with after, fame? When after the first year of... Um, Saturday Night Live, he decided to leave the show mm -hmm. with the attitude that this thing will just sing without me. Everybody was like, <laughs> okay, yeah. so he's always been a dick. Okay. <laughs> Actually, on Lemmings, he wasn't so much. He wasn't, yeah. he had been, he was like um, <clears throat> a cocktail pianist. Mm -hmm. Okay. He, okay played in clubs and he can do that so well just I mean the, the take on the, the singing and the playing but mm -hmm. that was he really did gigs like that but he was also hiding the fact that he was older than us because at that time no one over 30 would, could was trustworthy uh. <laughs> and, he, and I didn't realize till years till just a, a few years ago when I was looking at a bio of him uh -huh. that he w he had was in his 30s when we did Lemmings oh, and wow. he was like acting like he was one of the guys wow. <laughs> acting okay. role of a lifetime I guess or I think he's always just kind of been like that but <laughs> yeah yeah but he was he was I mean I have he is the king of shtick he, he is oh yeah he was but the wardrobe people were frantic because they never knew if anything backstage wasn't nailed down it appeared on stage 
with Chevy in mm-hmm. some scene. You never knew what he was going to wear. He could come out in a ballet costume, a women's ballet costume oh. <laughs> that had nothing to do with the scene he was doing, but <laughs> that's what he felt <laughs> he like. He come okay. out with yeah. chewing gum stuck somewhere and just keep pulling it off and putting it Oh somewhere. my gosh, that's so bizarre. And, oh and he was actually, I mean, those guys were so talented yeah. that it was a, it was amazing to work with them. But the jealousy and the competition was just something I wasn't used to. And when I left that show, it was kind of like the beginning of the end of my acting career. I did, I did a few other things that just kind of reinforced that I didn't want anything to do with actors anymore. I wanted to just yeah. work with musicians. Because <laughs> if you're with actors, you're told what to say, mm. what to feel. Where to stand. Who to care about, <laughs> what to wear. Yeah. And then you're applauded and paid for it. And when a show closes, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I'll probably never work again. You know, what should I do? What should I wear? What? Nobody's paying me? Yeah. (laughs) And you can't just go home and act in a bubble. But a musician, if he doesn't have a gig, he can just get stoned and play for himself and be cool, be fun. And so I was starting to see that the musicians I knew were much finer people to be around. Yeah. I could see that. I know, too, I had... I, th- I had heard. I don't know if you heard the same thing. It was Dick Van Dyke had seen. I think it was Chevy Chase on SNL and doing physical comedy, and had actually called up to tell him, "Hey, like this is how you're supposed to do it, so that you don't hurt yourself." Because Dick Van Dyke, of course, king of physical comedy as well as just a charming individual. That's another person I'm gonna be real sad when he passes away because he's still alive. I he's know. Not still going still to pass away. away. His granddaughter started him a TikTok <clears throat> and he's on TikTok I, um, singing the music man. He literally oh like is in here it's a steel trap and I'm like thank you. Thank <laughs> with his big old like Santa beard that goes halfway down his chest now. <laughs> he's, he's gonna the live forever. That's why. Uh, Don't he's he's gonna live forever. He is. We need him to live forever. <laughs> <laughs> But I remember hearing that because just thinking that Chevy Chase is so rambunctious and just out there that he was literally physically throwing himself. He was. He was. Yeah, he was. Mm -hmm. But in those days, I mean, I used to just be able to fall flat on my face. I didn't think anything of it. It hurts a lot less in your 20s. Yeah. Well, yeah. But the thing is, he's 30s, so he's really (laughs) He was an old man. Yeah. But it was funny because he had uh, a drugstore connection for his for his pharmaceuticals, and oh. he turned us all onto it. This Upper East Side pharmacist, who we were getting shots, ACTH shots that we could give ourselves because <clears throat> if you're losing your voice, mm-hmm. if you do ACTH, it, it's um, a hormone that the adrenals produce. Mm-hmm. It it clears your throat. It like lubricates your throat. Oh. And you can sing that night. It's not the healthiest thing to do. Well, but then yeah. with other friends, anything for the we show. We were mixing. We were mixing a little speed with that. Oh wow, a cocktail of sorts. All right, all right. <laughs> and then I would take a niacin before the show because I hated wearing makeup. And the combination of those drugs and niacin, I would have a red glow over my whole body the oh. whole show, and it, so I wouldn't look washed out. <laughs> Oh Put on some so fake funny. eyelashes, <laughs> put a little rosy tint, <laughs> eyeshadow, and <laughs> here I am. Oh my god! And ready to go. <laughs> oh, the seventies was a special time, it my was. friend. And John turned me on to to Quaaludes, the first Quaalude, which is on 
the first drug I ever found out I was allergic to. <laughs> oh my so gosh, I was like, like, oh. I ha- I'm allergic to like all the fun drugs, like anything with codeine or morphine or uh-huh. anything like that. I can't have, and and the penicillin things, which are important, but I can't. Yeah. Have I can't have yeah. penicillin either. <clears throat> Yay! <laughs> if we were born before 1900, we'd be fucked. <laughs> right. Some someone the other day actually read through my whole list, and then they went quaalude. I haven't ever seen that on someone's. <laughs> I said, "Look at the date." There's <laughs> a reason, and it's I said, "And John Belushi gave it to me." <laughs> oh my god. god! And that makes sense, doesn't it? That it just all makes up. sense. Yep. He would. He could take a handful of them and snort coke and smoke pot and drink. I mean, that's it's why no he one quaalude. And it was fortunately a night I was not doing this show because I always believed that you should take your. I'm forgetting to talk into this. Oh, I no, always believe that you should you should take your nights off on a night when you feel good yeah. and you can do something. Yeah. So I would always tell my understudy, okay, I have X number of sick days in a year. I rarely get sick and certainly not sick enough not to do a show. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather do a show when I'm sick because the adrenaline pumps in and you don't feel sick for that yeah. period right. of time. So who cares? Mm-hmm. And I'd rather have a day off when I felt good. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I would always tell understudies when they could invite an agent to see them because I'd say, well, I'm going to call in sick on such, <laughs> such a day <laughs> you know, if, you want, if you want to put that on your calendar. But this, I think we were rehearsing, the show was splitting and there was going to be the New York show and the touring show. And so we were t- giving different people chances to do things. And so John had given me a quaalude. And I didn't know I shouldn't drink beer with it. And I'm sitting in the club and have a beer with it. And I have never been so sick in my life. And I'm like, the only, I knew where the restroom was through the dressing rooms. I didn't know anything else. So I'm like walking by and the stage is not much higher than this. I mean, oh, you know, my gosh. And I'm leaning on the stage, walking past the stage, trying to get past tables to make it off there before I throw up and pass out. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> so. Yeah. Quaaludes. That's the thing that we don't we don't get to play with these days. Yeah. They're no longer on the market for us. We've got our own stuff. <laughs> well, there's all kinds of new stuff. There is back. all kinds yeah. of <laughs> old stuff coming com- coming back. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Okay. So fun, this was a fine question because I like to add the, ask this to people who smoked weed before the legaliz the mass legalization that's happened in re- recent years. Because a lot of people tell me. That weed does not taste like it used to, and no, it, it is a lot stronger. And it, <laughs> it is, is like it's all uh, high yeah. It's like mutant marijuana. I mean, we're we're worried about genetically altered food. Yeah, but the drugs are genetically altered yeah. to the extreme now. Oh, for yeah. sure. And hybrid, and you know, who knows what. But I mean, I, the first time that I took LSD, it was still legal. Oh yeah, I forgot it was legal at one point because LSD was developed. This is like, this could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> LSD, LSD was developed by the government mm-hmm. by MK Ultra. It was used as it was it was developed to be a Cold War interrogation tactic. They mm-hmm. would it, they were hoping it would be like a truth serum. 
Mm-hmm. And so they would give it to people and then like ask them questions. Kind of like, you remember when we just rewatched yeah, uh, Pineapple, Pineapple Express. Express? And at the beginning, we're Bill Hader smoking weed. <laughs> and he's just kind of asking <laughs> he's him like questions and he starts scatting. And scatting. <laughs> he's like, fuck the government. And they're like, no. <laughs> Illegal. Illegal. <laughs> but it's kind of similar, yeah. I've seen, I can't remember what it's under, but you can probably find it on YouTube. There is an interview with an army wife or a marine wife in the 40s or 50s around the end of the 40s early 50s Mm -hmm. that the the service was doing they were having family members take lsd to be interviewed and there's an interview they're just seeing what it's like and this very this woman who's like very tightly dressed yeah (laughs) is sitting there and she's just smiling going Oh, everything's so pretty. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my hand. Look at my <laughs> I just feel happy. <laughs> As you can tell, uh, the MK Ultra LSD experiment did not go well since it's illegal and they think it's like the devil drug. Well, it's coming back. Though. No, well, it's coming back. And well, they're using we... it in psychiatry now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Microdosing. I was going to say, a lot like of that. hallucinogenics, specifically LSD and uh, psilocybin. And yeah. mushrooms are being used right now at least we're it, well, in places where they can do the problem is they haven't been able to do clinical trials and like really study this right. same with weed well, we're now getting to. science they're yes. starting to but the first time i ever heard of or saw timothy leary was when he did a series of tv like documentary things like with patients giving them LSD and he mm-hmm. was in this skinny black tie and a white button down shirt mm-hmm. and and he was the professor you know and the doctor and yeah. he's talking about LSD and the experience and therapy and all that because they use ketamine now too for yep. like therapeutic purposes especially for people with DMT, bipolar, dis- for bipolar yeah. disorder DMT. Yeah like yeah. monitored and it'll be interesting in another 10 five maybe even five years five to ten years to see where a lot of these like what used to be considered extremely dangerous and harmful by yeah. reagan era republicans is now like being used in progressive science well but check that, out the yeah. boulder weekly there's a, a denver rabbi mm-hmm. who is a rabbi of a kabbalah yes. church yeah and i he's actually been arrested oh yeah. interesting for and he and he said no it's already in the law that yeah. it's perfectly legal to have the mushrooms because they some a fire marshal saw these all these mushrooms being grown mm-hmm. very clinically and called the cops in and so they confiscated all the stuff but it, it's under the religious freedoms mm-hmm. act but it's he, also decriminalized in colorado yeah. so. well it's not completely and they could still serve hard time for this because it's it's decriminalized if it's not enough to sell. But there was a large amount there. Yeah, now, even I see, though yeah. I no that. one was selling it, it's the it, quantity itself. Yeah, right. Okay. And that in November there'll be there is when the law would actually there's going to be a test of whether it becomes legal. Okay. I see. Okay. Because it's legal in Oregon, fully legal in Oregon. Yeah. That happened like last election around. And that's yeah, the thing we'll, that, see, we'll, we'll see what happens. That's the thing, right, is it's it's being grown in a, it's not just like out in someone's ditch backyard. It's, you know, it's in a clean environment or a lot, like with the ketamine, it's being administered by nurses as opposed to like someone in their apartment just heating up spoons or whatever. <laughs> 
You laugh because I think you know exactly what I'm referencing. <laughs> was that a rat or was that in my head? <laughs> Did you guys know? Okay, back to Spinal Tap. I got one more thing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I just like kind of inherently assumed, but I didn't realize was like a real thing. Like being Spinal Tapped is like a real thing. Like it's a thing in music yeah. circles. Yeah. Oh, and oh no. Oh, no. I mean, like, I know. So, okay, I example. In one. 1986. Um, after seeing a performance of the heavy metal band Venom, singer Henry Rollins, who I adore, yeah. he's not just a singer, he also does a lot of comedy stuff too. If you get an opportunity to see, he comes to Denver on a Henry pretty, Rollins. Yeah. Okay. He's the lead singer of a couple bands and also is like a perform. I would say he's a performer, yeah. but a lot of his stuff has a comedic tone when he does like solo performance. Um, but he basically compared um, them... Uh, the band Venom mm-hmm. to Spinal Tap. <laughs> oh my god! He was like, "Oh, they're so just like Spinal funny. Tap." And then um, in behind, we were just talking about Behind the Music the other day. Mm-hmm. In their retrospective Behind the Music episodes, Quiet Riots, Rudy Zarzo, <laughs> and Rats, Robin Crosby compared both of their bands to Spinal Tap in some extent. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> I just think that's really it's kind of, and it's well, almost because, like a little bit of a slur. Well, is it because like Spinal Tap, Tap in itself is a, an amalgamation of other bands yes. and their uh-huh. ridiculousness? Like one of the things I love the most is Jennifer Saunders from Absolutely Fabulous says that the whole falling out of the car backwards thing came from I think the Go-Go's mm-hmm. like a band that she was some band and they were so drunk that they just fell backwards and <laughs> upside down out of every door of the car so that's what she how she incorporated that in there but so I feel like it's it's every this band. movie was definitely all the stories you heard about all the big famous bands yeah. at the time that uh-huh. were like influenced and especially knowing that it was all improvised yeah that makes a lot of sense the, the part I remember being the most jarring too was the lip sore scene yes <laughs> the two of them it was always just like as a they kid they each have one on there yeah I was like, <laughs> like as a kid I had so many questions I didn't understand then as an adult when you start learning more you're like then the next scene, okay. they, they were gone. Oh, yeah, right. They were gone after that, which I think, and nobody addressed it. I Magically. think it was a very appropriate trick. <laughs> I think later that night, they were gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it was like later in this day. Oh, I feel like they appeared within the interview, too, and then like that night, they were gone. Uh-huh. So it was just a very momentary <laughs> bit. Oh, oh I gosh. love when they're trying to get from backstage onto the stage. And they keep getting lost. Oh my but god! It just <laughs> the guy gave him directions. Calm down here, and then you kind of jog to the left, but then you're gonna take two rights, right. and then just go right on past it. You sometimes like, in some of those old theaters and stuff. Yes. That's really how oh, it is. Yeah. You gotta like yeah. travel under the stage. It's real scary and creepy. You don't know if you're gonna die. You might not find you your way out. You might get there. You might not. It's like a catacomb. That you door's gonna close right. behind you. <laughs> like, I think this was part of the Underground Railroad. <laughs> I will say, though, like, this is one of those weird movies where you take somebody, like, Christopher Guest is a pretty decent, I think he's a pretty attractive man, Uh but him in this movie, for me, like, threw me over the moon, and it was like when Steve Buscemi is in Airheads. I don't find him to be attractive in anything, but in Airheads... Oh my God! Get the fans out, girls. Well, like, you know shit. that Jamie Lee Curtis saw this movie and decided she was going to marry. Chris okay, Gass. so that, I understand that agent, completely. Had her agent find out who his agent was, sent a note 
which he ignored <laughs> the first time, and I think maybe the second time, and finally there was some reason that they ended up getting together for lunch. I mean, they've been married for years. Mm-hmm. Okay, something that she and I just found out fairly recently, I didn't know that Christopher Guest was like some far down royalty member. British royalty. No, uh, yeah. Not royalty. His father is in, in Parliament. So. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. It so said, he, so she it got to go and sit in the Parliament. Oh, cool. his father was it was a it was a he's knighted, sir something, and was British, and so he's real adapted doing British accents. And Christopher yeah. Guest had some other amazing talents that he he is someone who can mime anyone. I mean, he can he can get the voice down. And he told me that the way he learned to do that was he used to lock himself in the bathroom and practice into the toilet because it had good reverberation. Oh, okay. But being Funny. a teenage boy, his mom was <laughs> concerned about how long he was in the bathroom. <laughs> That's so Yeah, it says he's the right honorable the Lord Hayden guest, member yes. of member of the Horse of Lords of Lord Temporal. Thank you, Google. We Wikipedia. <laughs> But he also could do a thing that Buck Henry is the only other person I ever met. But both of them can sit there and they'll do this with you. If you're sitting in a bar with them and they start getting saliva on their tongue and they can blow bubbles. Oh my God, that's really disgusting. Float out. He's a part of royalty and he can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Both of them could do that. They just get like a good sized bubble of of spit on their tongue and then oh blow it gosh. and it goes out. What a fucking bar <laughs> trick. <laughs> but it does arrest your attention. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you after this podcast people are going to go to the toilet and see, and to see how good the, <laughs> the acoustics oh are in their toilet. <laughs> on that note, let's, <laughs> let's go on with let's, the movie. Let's, let's wrap it up here. <laughs> We've had an epic conversation. Hi. MJ, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you so I Thank really you for appreciate it. Me. I hope you had really fun. fun. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> um, I would love to have you on again. We're actually going to do an episode on Christopher Guest we next are. season. Ooh, ooh, if you ooh. just want to come back and talk about Chris, you're more than welcome. We're going to watch some of our favorites. Best in Show mm-hmm. is probably my favorite Christopher Guest. I recently movie. watched that one again. Yeah, 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 I love it. Show yeah. Waiting for Guffman. Waiting for so That's Waiting for Guffman was the first one that I saw yeah. in my high school theater class. Yeah, you you have to have been in regional theater or summer stuff yes. to get most of yes. that like I would never show that to my husband he yeah. just <laughs> oh oh yeah but if you've done any sort of like small town theater whatsoever or small community theater this movie that movie hits real hard <laughs> just kind of like how when I watch Barry it hits pretty hard being in acting classes I don't know oh, if you've yeah. seen yes. that show yes. yet oh, yeah. Yeah. I've just like, watched that one too screaming so at the TV I have been in this room I have been here I have done this it's like an office space for me you're yes. just like I understand <laughs> too much <laughs> well this was the last episode of the season don't worry because we're still going to put out more content we have bonus a pride bonus episode coming out next week and then we're going to be back in it with season three and directors kicking it off with alfred hitchcock 
So uh, we'll get into that. But the bonus Pride episode we're watching, Tu Wan Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Oh, I love that. I love that movie. Such a good and movie. The Birdcage, which is a movie oh, that plays in, my house, yes. plays in my house all the time. Uh-oh. Oh, I play that movie constantly. It is always played. Like, I'll put it on the background. I'll put it on for whatever. I can always watch that movie. I know. It's so great. It just plays over and over and over and over. Gene Hackman in that movie is absolutely spectacular. He's the best straight I man ever. I love it. Tu Wan Fu was one that... I was super jealous of a friend of mine because I took her for her first time to see it. It was playing at the Esquire and they had a live drag show like at the beginning and then she got to see it in the movie theater and I was like, I'm super jealous of your first experience with this movie because that's awesome. I mean, I took you. I'm glad. I literally saw that movie on like TBS (laughs) at like 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday when I was a kid. That's when I saw Two One Foods because my parents wouldn't have let me watch that movie if they knew I was going to watch it. Are you kidding me? It's phenomenal. We'll we'll talk about it. I watched it late at night as an adult. <laughs> it's a late at night kind of movie. It's a nighttime kind of movie. <laughs> oh man, it was so nice to have you on. Yeah, it was um, lovely to have you and meet you. Yeah, thank Don't, you. Uh, everybody, if you forgot, we did launch our merch store. We got stuff it's going on. And they'll have staples and staplers soon. That's <laughs> right. We're gonna have all <laughs> the stapling enthusiasts. All the miscellaneous We're stapling have things. The, the required viewing <laughs> staplers <laughs> on there soon. <laughs> I feel like now we have to. Now yeah, we got to get some, some deal with some stapler <laughs> manufacturer. See, and this will make me go through the boxes again because I haven't sorted them all. I, I sorted out for a while office stuff. Yeah. <laughs> office stuff. I finally decided that a lot of office stuff is going to go to some school somewhere because oh, yeah. that has something yes. to do with it. But I'll yes. save the staplers. Those kids, that have, been staplers taking, those kids that have been taking paper clips and trying to make... <laughs> you're going to blow their minds. <laughs> <laughs> Um, don't forget, you can also sign up for our street team on street. our merch site. You can be a part of our street team. Get on, on our scavenger hunt, which will be, uh, you'll have until the end of the summer, August 31st, to get your pictures in. Tag us on Instagram at Require Viewing Podcast to do those. And then also, if you'd like to donate to the GoFundMe for our live show, you live can do that online as well at RequireViewingPodcast.com. Follow me at Aaron Malane Official on all the jazz. Follow Chloe <laughs> at Chloe Riggs makes things on all the things. Do, where where can we follow you? What are you doing? Where are you at? Soon. Where are soon. you at? <laughs> <laughs> we stop soon. Well, you can you can go you can see me singing at age twenty two. If you go on YouTube. Oh really? Okay. And Google my name, Mary Jennifer Mitchell, Jennifer with one N. Mitchell, remember two L's ending in hell. <laughs> and then do ode. To a screw, Milo's foreman. We might put that on our Instagram. I was going to say, and we can might try to put that is Don't have the kitties around because every other word is fuck. I mean, song. oh, to screw. That sounds pretty oh, legit. But it was in a Milo's foreman film that got pulled for some sort of copyright problem. Oh, my gosh. But you can get the video from Poland and you can get the Blu-ray from France. So I All have right. both. The, the okay. video from Poland doesn't play on our players. But <laughs> makes sense. the Blu-ray works. We've got, um, we've got fans and relatives a, in it France. It is a very funny movie called taking off but this song I was very proud of <laughs> <laughs> um, are you where, what's your what's your Instagram handle if anyone wants I to f- I'm not you're you're I was going to ask you guys yeah. to show me how to get on Instagram we can oh, definitely old, do folks. that I'm no old. it's okay I had to teach my mom how <laughs> to get on Spotify on YouTube you. also if you go to Dirty Chai Channel 
and you have to do that dirty chai channel, then look for the show, Not That You Asked. Okay. And that's, that's our mini series. Okay, cool. My friend Sarah Novotny and I. Awesome. We will link all of those all these things. things. You're gonna find MJ places, we'll, and we're we'll gonna help, help her get an Instagram. And we're gonna figure okay. out Instagram. Okay, great. I know for a fact you have an Instagram because I comment on it. So oh, we're gonna okay. have to figure out how to do that. <laughs> Maybe it's I not know, her. I know you it's have probably one. not me. It has your. It's literally the same as your Facebook. It's all the same information. Well, somebody could have stolen the. the that's internet, true. Man. Okay. Well, People after this, when we finish recording, I'm gonna help. We're gonna figure out your okay. Instagram. We're gonna figure out. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to the bottom of who is that, and we're gonna get a new one going. Okay. Legit. Okay. <laughs> We've got plans. Staplers. That and that. Okay. That, yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in again. Our next episode is gonna be the bonus pride episode, so stay tuned for that. And happy viewing. Happy viewing. Happy viewing. Hello. This is required viewing. This podcast was a Yaki Soba Studios production. With a special thanks to our producer, Michael Murray with graphics and music done by Colin Pearson.